Yeah, just it was a great throw, very strong throw. And there was no one oh, there yeah. to catch it. it was no, just, there's no one there. There's nobody there. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty funny. Like you know, see the yeah. So I kicked a helmet. I didn't throw a fit. Nobody knew about it. I just kicked a helmet. I walked into the dugout and kicked a helmet. It's not like anybody saw. Yeah. It was fine. I, I saw. You gotta manage your expectations for the kids. Though. They're well managed. Trust me. <laughs> Still disappointed. All right, start your thing. Iron Brains, a podcast that blogged at the very start of baseball season and entitled that blog, Baseball is Life, and hasn't blogged since just to prove the point. My name is Bob, sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host, that's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. Lori's here too. How you doing tonight, Lori? I'm fine. Lori's just fine. Tonight is Wednesday, May 24th, 2023. Happy birthday to my sister, Catherine. Oh, look at that. Happy birthday. I think we had Monday recordings last year and wished Duncan and Catherine happy birthdays in consecutive weeks. And Wednesday recordings, does that even make sense? I don't know. Uh, Yeah. I feel like we we managed to do it because we had a Wednesday recording tonight because of our crazy lives or up here. Or you just wished them happy birthday, even though it wasn't immediately their Probably. birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday, Catherine. She's 32. Catherine is the goodest person, as we'll discuss. The goodest person. <laughs> Didn't record uh, Monday because of Little League Baseball. Didn't record on Tuesday because it was the only night of the week without Little League Baseball. And so, of course, we had... Multiple hours of other 10- and 8-year-old bullshit to do, including swim team Which tryouts. Which preceded multiple hours that you could have been preparing for a podcast. It was too much going on. Just saying. Too much. Swim tryouts. Both we were kids, home earlier last night. Both kids made the team a great success. They'll be on the City Swordfish team, which uh, gives us the opportunity to pay $120 per child. Uh, nice. To, That's uh, just what shit costs. Join the stupid... Swim team. I was like, I was uh, checking out at the because like both kids passed and they're very official. Like I get a post-it note with their first names on it, so I take the post-it note with their first names up to the checkout counter at the <laughs> swim center, and I hand it to the lady. She doesn't even look at it. She puts it <laughs> directly in the trash. Like it could have said, uh, "I'm a terrorist." Uh, <laughs> Call call your leader and let them know I'm going to blow up the swim center. And she wouldn't know. She would have just been like, okay, credit card. That would have been – she's like, how many do you have? I was like, it was – their names were on the right. official documents that you just put in the trash. But it's two. And she's like, all right, uh, you put the card in the machine there. It's like – how much? What? What do you mean? Put the card in the machine? There. What are? Yeah, what is the arrangement here? <laughs> I know she's busy and she's been doing this all day, but Jesus Christ, lady, tell me at least what I'm buying. Two hundred and forty damn dollars later. Good stuff, though. The kids were very pleased with themselves. It's a very intense tryout. You have to get in the pool and swim to the other end of the pool on your belly, and then swim back on your back. And if you don't drown or touch the bottom. <laughs> You're on the team. There's no uh, time limits as long as no. you're not drowning? I think I heard that it was like three minutes. You have three minutes to do it. But oh, that's, that's, a, that's not easy. I could that's do not. it in three minutes. Yeah, it's pretty that's long That's a time. long time. 
It's not uh, not Michael Phelps or, right. or that Katie No, Ledecky they just want to make stuff. sure that they're not... They're not an, it, an obvious danger to themselves. Was uh, And also, like, they they can't teach them how to swim. They need to just know how to swim. Okay. They need to come prepared. Were there any close calls? Like, oh, boy, that kid's going to drown. Not quite ready. I mean, I'm nope. sure there are. Like the, the When we got there, there was one kid, and I, I overheard the lifeguard slash assistant swim coaches talking amongst themselves about how uh, they thought for a second they were going to have to jump in there and get them, but but they didn't. Also, okay. uh, I don't want to talk about the, uh, the, the Utes necessarily. Uh, but one of these Utes at the uh, at the swim tryout. Now we don't have a very wide audience here in Charlottesville, so I don't expect this to get yes. out. But I'll keep it in as anonymous as <laughs> that as is possible. our one week market. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the bathing suits, man. Like the she was wearing. It's basically, not just the bathing right, suits. It's not just the bathing suits. I'll send suits. you a picture. But there was nothing on below the navel, basically. And this was at a this is at a, a, a city rec swim pool thing where children. I mean, I'm not, I wasn't. Uh, there you are know. pictures of this? What is? What am I listening to? No, no, no. no I'm sending you okay. a picture of a different day. Although I did feel like a creep because I got out my phone to text – because Lori had texted me because she was worried about what was going on. And I saw I had a message. And so I'm texting in the on the pool deck and I immediately felt like a creep because I'm standing behind this girl with like – I mean in excess of 95% of her ass is just out. Just okay. her whole butt is there. Yeah. And so I'm like eight feet behind her with my phone out. And like some people are just pretending to type when they do that because they're taking a picture of oh. the of the butt right in front of them there. I was not. I promise. Just zoom in to these girls that I have in this picture. Yeah, that's those are a couple girls. Nice college girls they're on the dry. sidewalk. That's clothes to them. Those are going out clothes. They're ready to socialize and their whole butts are out. Just their then. whole butts oh, are out. It's a new style. Uh, no judgment. Yeah. Uh, but also, this girl, who I did not take a picture of, but I did note to Lori the situation, because I'm the sort of upstanding wife guy who notes when he sees other women's whole butts out in the in public. She turns around, and like some smaller percentage of her frontal region is also entirely visible. Oh, like there's wow. no, I, I'm fully aware of her grooming habits, is the way that I will put it. That's uh, a lot of information. So this is uh, a lot of information. It can... I was feeling bad about my short shorts when I'm running. These are shorter still. They're very no, and they don't wear. Like, I don't know. Part of it feels like throwback to uh, the the late '90s with the the, the girly pop stars, where they would wear the low rise jeans and the halter top, and so there'd no, be a lot of no. But now it's high rise, right, high rise, wide leg, cropped jeans. The They're ugliest hideous. possible jeans possible that these girls are wearing, and then also. Uh, the the halter Bras tops as shirts so that I yeah just brought so I can see your whole belly uh, I, I see the whole everything going on there girls not a good look take it from me the forty uh, <laughs> year old who decides these things right it's not gonna go over well uh, this advice <laughs> anyway my kid's gonna play trumpet next year so everything's gonna be okay oh nice yeah look forward to that. Uh, noise coming out of the basement next year. That'll be it good. It won't be his his like chewing at least. No. At pool, we had band tryouts and we had Katie's ballet thing, which is fine. It's a busy day, so here we are tonight instead. Yeah. 
Hey, but quick update on the NBA playoffs. I believe the last time we spoke about the NBA playoffs, you predicted ah. that the Golden State Warriors, led by uh, Stephen Curry, yes. uh, would would win the whole deal. They were uh, summarily <laughs> kicked out of the yes. playoffs uh, in embarrassing fashion. Ah, embarrassing. The, That's a bit strong. You know, they tried and they failed. Yeah, but they failed to the Lakers, right? Uh, right. Who then also and then the Lake, failed. Then the Lakers were embarrassed right. on their way out of the playoffs. Right. So. My favorite LeBron thing is when he really shits the bed uh, in playoff games. And so I got the notification on my phone one day last week. It said, LeBron, with one of the greatest first halves in the history of basketball playoffs. Like, LeBron scores 45 or something. I don't know what the number was. But it was a big number. And they were up, like, 20 points or something after a half of basketball. And they were down 3-0 in the series. And I was like, ah, they're going to lose. And then I woke up the next morning, and they had lost. It was great. Uh, that's, that's the sort of basketball fan I It wasn't LeBron's fault, to be fair. He put up, like, 40 points. But yeah, did he put first. up another forty in the second half? No, no he think, did not. No, <laughs> he's like almost forty years old. He's an old man who's still playing well. Learn and to pace yourself, old man. Uh, what what good is what good is an awesome first half in Game Four of a series that you get swept in? That's what I want to know. What a bum! A so what does that leave sweep. us with? What does that leave us with? It's the Nuggets. It's and the Denver Nuggets who have never won, um, and either Miami uh, or Boston, likely Miami. Right, because Miami had gone up three nothing and then lost last night, I believe. Right. right. Yeah. So basically, a gentleman sweep, or maybe Boston comes back, or something. Who's the more likable, the most likable team here out of the three remaining? Denver teams? by far. Because of because they've uh, never their, won. Their... They got Nikolai Jokic, the Joker. Yeah, they, they got Jokic, the... the the great Jokic out there. Yeah, and like I said, Denver hasn't. I think this is the um, before the NBA and the ABA merge. Like the Nuggets are from the ABA side, kind of like the AFL NFL uh, with right. football. And I think this is the last of the ABA teams that survived to make it to the finals. Like they, there's been like a bit of a drought. Right. And so, like, it's a better story. The other teams have already won before, Boston and Miami. Miami's a good story, though, right? The eight seed, yeah. and they're sort of a shitty regular season. And then uh, Jimmy Butler, just yeah. a total yeah. try-hard maniac, turns yeah, it on when it counts. He's one of those crazy people that uh, people like, like Kobe and, and jo that Jordan guy that you're a big fan of, where they're like, yeah. oh, I'm a big asshole, and I'm going to win. And then they, they win. Yeah. All right, that's our NBA coverage. <laughs> Very thorough. Who do you get? Who you got? <laughs> the Golden State Warriors. What do you <laughs> <laughs> I'll write that down. Try to play so. I wonder if FanDuel will take my bet on the Golden State Warriors at this point. All right, let's uh, talk quickly about uh, Diane Feinstein again, real quick. This won't. This won't take too long. Right. The night after we recorded and we had talked about how uh she doesn't have any brains left or like what brains she has left or from the 90s or something right. and no new stuff has come in since then yeah i was uh, gonna say yeah uh, that the uh the lights are on but no one's home but the lights are also off like everything is yeah just off. she doesn't belong doing her job anymore and this article in politico came out uh the day after we recorded last week and it suggested my favorite sort of political conspiracy, which is it's, it's the ones that are entirely believable. Yes, the, like the most likely scenario, yeah. Right. And 
Uh, this is by uh, Rachel Bade, who's a, a reporter for Politico. She wrote a book last year about something. I can't remember what now. Uh, that's a helpful explainer on who Rachel Bade is. Uh, <laughs> it turns out that the person who's been hanging out around Diane Feinstein the last uh, long while is Nancy Pelosi's oldest daughter. She has become her most uh, important caretaker. She is always by her side. She was with her in California the entire time, spent uh, apparently basically every waking minute uh, with her. She's with her still in Washington. And that's uh, Nancy, the former Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi's oldest daughter. So we, we had discussed, like, why in the world, given that Gavin Newsom is there, and the, the governor of California is a Democrat, you'd obviously replace her with a Democrat were she to uh, be removed from the Senate, just like they did for Kamala Harris with the guy whose name I can never remember, a Hispanic guy from California who's currently the junior senator. I see Abe thinking about oh, Hispanic-sounding names, and he can't do it. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so, like, why the big mystery? Why wouldn't we just let... Diane go, uh, where she clearly doesn't belong any longer, and let Newsom appoint someone. Now, Newsom has promised to appoint a black woman to the seat, which, of course, for me, that's perfect. As we discussed <laughs> yeah, maybe no. a month or so ago <laughs> on, my, on, on the show, my whole plan for uh, surviving the 2024 election cycle is to get Kamala Harris back in the Senate. Right. And Gavin Newsom has promised to put a black woman into Feinstein's seat if he has that opportunity. And Kamala Harris counts as that, right. uh, as we've been told many times. So I don't know what the holdup is. Uh, I couldn't figure it out. Perfect fulfillment of my plan. Uh, apparently, the, and here's the conspiracy part, Nancy Pelosi is deeply invested in getting Adam Schiff that Senate seat, in, in helping Adam Schiff become the nominee when the office comes up for its regularly scheduled election in a couple of years. Yeah, actually next year, right? In 24. Because right. I think uh, Diane Feinstein, her one concession in this whole process was is to commit to not running for re-election. So it's like, all right, there, I'm going to do that. And so now you have between now and next year where what do they do? Does she stick around long enough to where the race starts fresh and like all the, there's like like the, you know, Schiff is the impeachment hearings guy. Uh, Katie Porter, she's like the whiteboard uh, member of Congress. Right. Does they, so there's like a lot of competing interests for that race. And, and so they're wondering like if, if you were to resign now and the governor, as is his right, uh, appoints somebody and, and, and appoints like a black woman uh, – then that person Which Adam, will have Adam the Adam Schiff notably is not right. A black yeah, so Adam woman, Schiff is right. not that. So whomever the the incumbent is will have this advantage, you know, going forward. So like they're trying right. to prevent that from happening, which is kind of a weird thing because now you got to prop up a person who's not all the way there uh, long enough just to accomplish a political goal. Like instead of just saying, just to hope like, to not even guarantee it, right? Just to right. hope that Adam Schiff ends up as the nominee. Right. So that's the that's the conspiracy angle here is that the Pelosi political machine, with the help of Nancy's oldest daughter, has installed itself as Diane Feinstein's protector, and making sure that 
she stays in the Senate for as long as possible. And, you know, at the same time, I'm sure that there's a, a various human and empathetic reasons for that. I'm sure it's not entirely, not, not right. purely right. crassly political and they're uh, protecting her legacy and all of that. But it is the sort of sort of political in- – all of the political incentives line up for this conspiracy theory to basically be true, even if it's not outright like Nancy scheming uh, over her fancy ice cream in front of her $7,000 refrigerator or whatever. Right. Uh, all of the incentives align such that even if she's not consciously trying to do this necessarily – it's just what's happening, and right. that's the sort of uh, conspiracy theory that I like best because it's you, perfectly plausible and uh, makes sense with everybody's various incentives. Right. You know, uh, what was it? House of the Dragon. Like there was the the king who was like dying of some sort of skin issue or whatever, right? Like, you know, this whole let's exploit the frail old person for right. our political purposes. It's kind of – I mean it's not like that – crazy but it, it's kind of similar to the accusation anyways you would like to think that people aren't that like uh politically hungry to where you know i'm sure if you go back i don't know the relationship that the pelosi's have with the feinstein people uh but i'm sure it goes back decades right they're politicians in the same party right. from the same state so i'm sure they, there's a, a pre-existing relationship and to exploit it now by being in the innermost circle and like screening calls because the likely scenario is that a lot of party leaders, you know, whether it's like former president, like a Obama or somebody else, like a, you know, some like Hillary or whomever, they're probably calling, like saying, Hey, as gently as they can, perhaps fuck off, you know? So like if right. somebody has the political interest in not uh, having that be the case, they could be, screening calls and i think i don't know if it's political or some other reporting that said that some democratic like figures like heavyweight figures aren't able to reach the senator and it's because they're saying oh that she's not available or she's a little tired or whatever so like like the worst instincts if you believe all those things to be true it's kind of fucked up that they're doing all of this just to prop up somebody just to have like a negligible advantage in 2024 because you know Schiff is a known brand. Like he'll do fine if she were to, uh, uh, Feinstein were to withdraw uh, or resign now, and some other person uh, were to take over. You think he would do fine in a primary contest against? uh, I forget who the black lady in question is most likely to be. I saw something silly today about it being Oprah, which seems uh, (laughs) yeah, that's seems but yeah, seems unlikely. So so whomever it would be, it's not they're not high profile because I mean we would know them right like who i mean what was it that karen bass she just became mayor of la would she like leave immediately right that seems unlikely right so like there's not so the the name recognition isn't going to be there unless it is oprah so like is it really that big of an advantage that the incumbent for like a year and your main concern is katie porter she's not going to get that uh uh vacancy right so like you're not that far off to where you are now let the process play out this is not going to be a distraction, and you can run in 24. It just seems like it's something you would see like on an HBO show uh, or, or Veep or something like that. Uh, but I would like to think that people are not that single-focused, like where they're like, I don't care what how this looks. She needs to be in office long enough for Adam Schiff to win. I mean, the, the they, they definitely are that singularly focused. Alex Padilla, by the way, is the other senator of uh, – oh. 
I wasn't, I was not going to guess that. From California, he would become the senior senator after being uh, put there just a few years ago. And then Barbara Lee, that was the one that I couldn't think of. Oh. Uh, Barbara Lee is the... Is she, is she all that young? I don't know how young she is. She's not terribly young, but she's already running against Katie Porter and Adam Schiff. Oh, so uh, she... Okay, so even if she's not nominated, she would be one of the candidates anyways, regardless. Right. Okay. But again, I still think my plan is best that you should just put Kamala Harris there. And, and barring that wonderful eventuality, because he's already appointed one, he should say, look, uh, as much fun as this is for me, appointing senators, it's not really fair. So I'm going to appoint somebody who's going to pledge not to run again in 2024, and we will let the democratic process play out. And that should that should make everybody happy, except yeah. for... I guess one uh, black lady who otherwise would just be right, handed that is the job. True, but yeah, uh, if, if, that's actually not a bad idea. If, if you if they had them commit to being a caretaker kind of role, where they're just there to uh, just the last eighteen months of the no. uh, the term, and then and then leave. And Adam Schiff's a real fucking piece of work too, by the way. I, I, like I thought he was fine in the impeachment things. He was anytime I saw him on you television. You thought he was wonderful yeah, in the impeachment. Yeah, I thought that at times he was spectacular during the impeachment. And then he would go on television on CNN or MSNBC or or even on the Sunday shows and make ludicrous claims about the intelligence that he's seen that definitively ties Trump to Russia right. and then never produce any of it at any point. Uh, so he was bad on that stuff, uh, among the worst, actually, on that stuff. All right. A few or three weeks ago now, we didn't talk about this on the show uh, Oakland A's broadcaster Glenn Kuyper, K-U-I-P-E-R. I'm oh, honestly. That's what we're talking about tonight. It's a seg- we're not exactly talking about this. It's going to be a segue to another similar conversation, but we are going to talk about it to some extent. We didn't talk about it three weeks ago, but three weeks ago he had gone on a visit <laughs> while they were in uh, the team was in Kansas, Kansas City. City. Yeah, yeah, Kansas City, where the. Uh, Negro League Hall of Fame is where the, the Negro League uh, Baseball Museum is and while there the broadcasting crew got to get a tour of the place right, right. he was excited about that and he wanted to talk about it in his pregame show and so I'm going to play a clip of uh, <laughs> this guy his name is Glenn Kuyper and he's sitting there with his buddy Dallas Braden uh, about to call a game and he says the following be warned about your delicate sensibilities here, uh, audience out there. It's a, an official trigger warning from CIB. We had a phenomenal day today. Nigger League Museum and Arthur Bryant's Barbecue. Oh. Let that play again. We had a phenomenal day today. Nigger League Museum and right. Arthur Bryant's so, Barbecue. By the way, I know this is the uh, audio <laughs> podcast, but... <laughs> The other guy. The video is amazing. The, the the thumbs that he's doing, like just the the face that he's making, like this is all wholesome, and just the word that comes out just undoes it. But like he, <laughs> for what it's worth, in the longer clip, nobody reacts. Yeah, in the that's, the other one, thing. that's what the first thing I said to yeah. you yeah. was how little anyone reacted. Right. I so think like, it's Whoa, because whoops. you can choose to hear this. As an obvious accidental slip of the tongue. like and, it's still and the, a whoops. The first time that I heard it, I heard him, I, I hear the long E at the start of that word. 
And then he like he he sort of swallows the rest of the word almost. And so instead of it like it's it's like he's it's almost like he's trying to say Negro League. Like right. it's like he sort of does this thing where he says Negro League. Like is it's Negro League Museum, right. but it's because it. His tongue gets in the way or something. It sounds like his, he's trying to – that the Professional mistake – talker. Right, right. The mistake instead would be Negro League, which right. is like – which again, if you want to hear it that way, I think you can hear the long E in the very in the very beginning of it. But because of the way the word ends, where it sounds like there's an R happening somewhere in there, which again – Maybe I'll slow it down uh, when I when I play it back here and, and really give it some space to breathe. Uh, Nate, 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 Nate. But I don't. I think it's pretty clear, at least to my. Upon first hearing it, I both understand why people heard him say the bad thing, right? But it's also pretty clear to me that he didn't intend to say the bad thing. Right. Yeah, I mean, that that last point is so obvious. That's what I am um, kind of just laughing at this because it's like such a terrible example of like somebody saying the bad word in the bad way that everybody's concerned about, right? This was a gleeful person doing the thumbs thing. And the first, I don't know, 30 times I heard it, I heard it one way. And then the next 20 times that I, because I have listened to this quite a bit of time, <laughs> yeah. I did not realize that, I was like, there's no way he was trying. I mean, I know he was trying to say Negro League, but I was like, I just don't know how you go from that to to the other. But like, you're right. The more you listen to it, it's like he didn't l- let it breathe. He just kind of said both things in very quick succession. Right, because and- he's trying to recount his day. Right, he's right. trying to like, he's trying to hit the the like as he's counting with his thumb and his fingers. <laughs> he's like trying to go, you know, uh, this yeah. one awesome thing, this other yeah, awesome yeah, thing, this yeah. other. So so when you're doing that, it's like you know, Negro League Museum. Like, whoa, 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 what did I say? Uh, yeah, but he didn't. Whoa, whoa, what I yeah, say? That's the right, thing. because he- you don't even notice when you. I think that when you're like in that. You're you're on fucking television, you yeah. know. Like you're just trying to do, and it doesn't even occur to you right. that your brain could have done that to you, right? He's been sabotaged by his brain and lips in a way. Right. All right. So anyway, the the we didn't talk about it then. He was immediately suspended. Right. And and they were gonna uh, investigate further, which <laughs> to me was pretty ludicrous. But fine. He's <laughs> enough people thought that he said the bad word that to me it made sense. Okay. Give the guy a week off. Right. Let him make his abject apologies, which he certainly did, and then uh, he'll come back. This isn't like uh, I forget who it was. It, was it Tom Brenneman? Somebody was caught on a hot mic in a baseball thing recently, making a, a gay joke or something. Oh and yeah, calling somebody Tom, a faggot yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. Fag capitals of the world. Reds live, the pregame show presented by Ray St. Clair Roofing. Kansas City again. Like, I think there's something about that city. That <laughs> there's something in the water. With Missouri these. is the most racist state. <laughs> That's saying something. You go there and your brain and lips just become racist <laughs> and, and homophobic accidentally <laughs> against you. They, they conspire against you. Anyway, uh, it turns out that that punishment was not sufficient. And he had been suspended for three weeks. And then today, news drops that he has been fired permanently, uh, removed from his position on the A's broadcast crew. What was the, the, the language you used? After internal something? Like, as if there were... Like after a, a further internal investigation, and, not, and, and they gave us no specifics <laughs> as to what was unveiled by this 
further internal investigation. And to me, if you if what happened right. was you discovered there is uh, this man, a there's pattern. further evidence yeah. that this yeah. man has a racist heart, right. then you need to disclose that. Right. And the fact that they didn't disclose that tells me that what happened is that there's a couple of things in his HR file over the course of 20 years or whatever – that are like, well, uh, now we have the third fucking thing in the right. HR file, and it's the bad word, so I guess we might as well cut them loose. Right, like because basically it's like a different standard, even though like if you just took this one incident and and judged it in a vacuum, he would he would come in the clear. Like no no rational person would think that this is like evidence of some malicious kind of way of thinking, uh, right? De- the the, the well, awful website deadspin.com no disagrees with you, Abe. <laughs> this zombie website that I that still exists somehow. But like Ugh. but but when you're in this kind of situation we're like, well, it, it just looks bad and we have to kind of suspend you for a little bit and look into it. And if you're right, if they did look into something and it was some minor thing from like 12 years ago, something minor that on its own would also not be a big thing. Uh, they're like, we can't afford to swallow the release of that second story, right? Because if they say, all right, three weeks, he took some sensitivity training thing, all right, we're back to good, and then a dead spin or some other outlet reveals like 12 years ago, he said, oh, I don't like, I don't know about all that dancing or some ridiculous thing, and then somebody makes a connection and then you look bad. I no. thought this wasn't what we were talking about. It's not, but but it's too much fun to just leave it be. Uh, <laughs> it is. This, you could just not share this. It's this fine. Dance, this Densman article. So you – and I'll make sure there's a link to it and the and the picture in particular <laughs> in the show note because, Abe, you mentioned the fact – like the, the visual aspect of this. So there's Kuiper. He's got the thumb up like he's doing like, – it looks like just a thumbs up, but yeah. it, he's we know that he's counting. Uh, and Dallas Braden, who's a big bearded weirdo who used to play baseball uh, and made a big stink about how he was uh, like a strange guy. And he was he was an enjoyable fellow. Anyway, uh, Dallas Braden is his partner. But in the freeze frame that they've chosen, yes. he looks like he's cringing and yeah, ashamed. Right. Rather, but he wasn't. <laughs> he wasn't. He was appreciative. He was dapping his own chest, say, like, sort of like, man, yes, uh, felt it right here in my heart. It was a really good day. But in the in the freeze frame of the video, it looks like he's ashamed to be sitting next to the awful racist. The uh, awful racist, by the way. particularly amusing to me. Who, who looked very, very happy. Like, like the, the, right. you're right. This is a very charitable frame that Deadspin chose. Like, you would almost yeah. think, like, Brayden worked for Deadspin. Like, I need to yeah. be distanced from this guy, so pick the frame that makes me look like I'm disagreeing with them. Like, that's what Right, they but the with. freeze frame is completely disingenuous relative to the actual, uh, the substance of the video. All right, here is from the Deadspin thing. Uh, definitive statement, first sentence. Uh, actually, the headline is... Don't feel sorry for Glenn Kuyper after he got the axe for using the N-word. Despite what the ex-Oakland A's broadcaster's excuse is, that word doesn't just slip out unless you're comfortable using it. By Eric Blum. Not sure who Eric Blum is. That's about all you need to be frank, though. The the, the, the tag on the photo, which we already said was not uh, the most generous photo, is just no sympathy for this asshat. Like... They've com- for, I know that Deadspin is not actual Deadspin anymore. It hasn't been for years, but right. like 
it's such a shitty website now. Right. Uh, first sentence, Glenn Kuyper didn't misspeak less than three weeks ago during a pregame segment when detailing his trip to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in Kansas City. That hateful six-letter word, which, by the way, no matter how many times I listen to it, I cannot prove that he said all six letters of the I word. I hear it very clearly. Right. Yeah, I don't. I don't hear the full six-letter word. I hear... Sort of N-E-G-R-R, sort of, but whatever. That hateful six-letter word doesn't just slip out of your mouth unless you've used it dozens of times before and it's part of your vernacular. Like Kale Gundy, who welcomes Kuiper into the category of being fired from a job in the sports world for using the N-word. So that's a reference to Kale Gundy of the Mike Gundy family tree, I believe. Oh, he's a Gundy? Uh, Yeah, he's a real – this guy was a Gundy. He was at Oklahoma, and he was in a film study room or something with the football team. And one of his asshole players was dicking around on his iPad instead of paying attention to film study. So Kel Gundy walks over and and picks up the iPad and just starts reading from what it says on the iPad. And uh, some of the text on the iPad mm. apparently included. Don't do that. The N word. Yeah. And he still got to not say it. Yeah. And he said he didn't even realize he was saying it until he had said it was his excuse, which, like, I don't know. Like, I don't want to relitigate the whole Kale Gundy. At that uh, point, situation. you need to just say you're you're borderline illiterate. So, like, you know, I'm processing the words as I'm saying the words. Yeah. So. Right. Uh, but he he ended up getting the axe for that, and apparently uh, that is a similar sin to Glenn Kuyper's sin. Uh, Kuyper was given the pink slip by NBC Sports California, where he was a broadcaster for the Oakland Athletics, after he uttered that racial slur on air before a May 5th game against the Royals. Uh, the fact that this entire Deadspin article is, uh, you'll recall... One of the all-time great South Park episodes is when Randy Marsh goes on Wheel of Fortune. Oh, yeah. People who annoy you. <laughs> yeah, people who annoy you, and it's N blank G G E R S. Naggers. Right. Oh, oh, it's, yeah, naggers. Uh, <laughs> but the way he does it, I think he, in fact, points right at the screen as he says, and like with thumbs up, as he says the bad word, like, I know it, but I'm, I don't know if I'm supposed to say it. And then he, and then he says it uh, <laughs> proudly. Probably just play the clip here. Uh, Ten seconds, Mr. Marsh. Well, I know it, but I don't think I should say it. Five seconds, Mr. Marsh. All, all right, I, I'd like to solve the puzzle. Niggers! Uh, huh? Oh, naggers, of course. Naggers. Right. But he becomes in that because this was ends up being a take up a take off of the the Michael Richards thing, the Kramer yeah. from Seinfeld right. who screamed the N word at uh, at one of his shows when the crowd was annoying him or something. Right. It wasn't a good look. For, it wasn't uh, Michael just Richards. The, the the slur like he was like he talking was, about like hanging bad. somebody from right. a tree. Like he it was like a very involved joke. It, it was a, a use. The use mentioned distinction did not come into effect for the Michael Richards stand-up <laughs> bit, in the way that one would think that it would here yeah. with uh, with Kuiper. 
regardless, in fact. But anyway, the long story short of that episode is that Randy gets super depressed walking around. He gets called by everybody that he runs into. They start calling him the nigger guy. And the, and the amusing thing is that he not, it's it's as though he is being injured by right. the word, right? Yes. And it's a clever little play on the whole thing. But this Deadspin article is just doing that to Glenn Kuyper and Kale Gundy, right? This is a de- this entire article is just dedicated to pointing out, uh, that's the that's the guy. Yeah. And he will forever be tarnished with having been that guy. And they're doing it with a straight face and saying that he is uh, an irredeemable piece of shit forever because he lets this word slip. He lets the mask fall is is the way it's usually described. By the way, uh this is totally un- well, it is related, but I was just thinking as we're talking about this topic we're not supposed to talk about uh you know if you were uh railroaded like in this way like you know you say, you just say something out of excitement you mumble your words and here you are you get shit canned right would this make you more racist less racist or no impact on your racism like let's say you were not racist coming into it and you got i don't think it would make you more racist but i think it would make you more reactionary in general right okay i think it in the way that 99% of people who are canceled by online mobs sort of, at least for a time, become reactionary assholes right. about, like, woke stuff, right. uh, even if they weren't to start with. Like, I can think of basically one example, and it's Mike Pesca, who was canceled by uh, absurd reactionary mob himself and has and doesn't talk about himself in that way right. hardly at all. When his podcast came back, he gave a couple of interviews to a couple of other podcasts about it, but even then downplayed the entire thing and said, "Look, and this is actually so this is actually something that I've thought about a lot about the people who stand outside of conventional wisdom on the woke stuff, on on say trans issues, on certain uh framings of racial life in America. People who I think generally operate in good faith and have good faith critiques of certain progressive identitarian ideologies often end up online constantly defending themselves. And everything becomes about their experience of living outside of the mainstream, right? And Pesca seems to me to stand alone, basically, as the only one who has not fallen victim to this particular thing that I'm talking about. Like, Jesse Single is a reporter. He does a lot of work on the trans stuff. And his entire Twitter life, until he left Twitter a few months ago, I think, but uh, his entire online persona was dedicated to defending himself against him being a transphobe. He becomes the center of the story the moment he brings up anything about anything. And that goes for any number of these uh, so-called, uh, I want to say anti-woke, but they're not even necessarily anti-woke. They're just sort of gently questioning the established conventional wisdom on identitarian politics. And and it's this weird phenomenon where if you do that, you immediately, because you become the target of right. so much hate from or or not even necessarily hate but constant attention uh it it ends up becoming about you it's right. a very strange thing but you know i do wonder if the reason why some people uh react in that way and others like a pesca uh, and maybe there aren't as many examples on the pesca side but like it's not going to be just pesca right like there's other people who probably experienced a similar thing and they came out on the other side without it impacting how they think about things right sure but 
Pepsi is a high profile example. Right, but but I do wonder though, like, is it just based on? Does it just come down to like how you identify? in relation to the world like if some people maybe their identity is forging the experiences like whatever happens to me that's how i kind of constitute myself based on experience and other people experiences has a plays a role but it's not the only thing they'll read and they'll they'll look at other experiences and just kind of decide and say like okay this is a more objective way of of right. seeing the world you're describing and, you're describing the difference between people who see themselves as victims and people who have sort of previously high established amount of their own personal character and therefore don't see themselves as victims. Like, I don't, I don't know what sort of a person uh, this Kuiper fella is. My guess is that he won't become racist because of this if he's in fact not racist right. to start with, but will be sort of – he will feel himself to have been victimized in an unfair sort of way and have, having had lost his career right. in a way that doesn't seem fair to me at all. Let's uh, save this episode for like next year. It'll probably be like a, some some oath keepers thing. This guy. Yeah. Also, uh, no. What the fuck is Deadspin talking about in terms of this? Isn't like it? It must be completely unacceptable. Like, of course, it is completely unacceptable. In fact, it's so completely unacceptable that it is basically inconceivable to me and to I think any other good faith actor here that he did this on purpose right. that he let this word fly because he's a secret white supremacist and is tired of hiding behind it was probably uh, written by a bot the politics right I mean, the, the thing is like if you were to take the intentional uh theory and apply it the sequence of events would not make sense like nobody would be that right. gleeful like he's i don't care how racist you are like if you were to dial take that dial of racism to the extreme right and you were this person like you would not go about it that way you would at least recognize that the the broader world does not accept this sort of thing right and so you wouldn't and, be just and as a public especially as a public facing person right. like it's it is utterly inconceivable that someone would on purpose reveal themselves to be this sort of a person right. it just it is it, it is Utterly inconceivable in the same way that the blooper thing from uh, – not blooper. Blooper's the Dinger. Braves guy. The Dinger. Dinger. The, the, the <laughs> Colorado Rockies uh, mascot Dinger when the, the fan was calling for Dinger and some people heard it as the N-word instead. <laughs> like it's the same thing. Imagine that we actually live in a world where somebody can sit in the front row of a nearly empty ballpark and just scream the N-word and have nobody care. Right. It's completely inconceivable right. that that's the world that we live in based on everything that we know right. about well, especially the world because that we live in. Remember the Georgia baseball player got kicked out because he was yelling the N-word at a football player. Oh, yeah. Right. He, like it, he was it calling not, clearly not uh, was, acceptable. Right. In a in a at a Georgia football game, Justin Fields apparently somebody yelled down to put the oh, N word oh, in the that's game. Right, yeah. Uh because uh, not just somebody, a student sure, athlete. A, a student athlete did. And then he got the boot because people were like, Yeah, it was that asshole who did that. Right. That's the guy who right. did that because that's actually the sort of society that we live in. Not this other weird one that these yep, people insist true. we do. All right. I want to segue now uh, talking about the sort of world that we live in, this constantly told that America is an irredeemably racist and white supremacist culture 
And then I was in the car today on the way to baseball, and I heard this on the radio. This was the scene inside a soccer stadium in the Spanish city of Valencia on Sunday night. The echoes of fans chanting mono, or monkey, in Spanish at a single black player from Brazil who was on the field playing for the opposing team, Real Madrid. His name is Vinicius Jr., and he is one of the best players in the world. For him, Sunday night's racist chants were too much. After the match, he said on Twitter that he's been a target of this type of racism since arriving in Spain four years ago. NPR's Rob Schmitz is in Valencia where this happened. Hey, Rob. Hey, Ari. Tell us more about how the player Vinicius Jr. reacted to this event. Yeah, uh, as you mentioned, this was not the first time that this has happened to him. After the game, Vinicius Jr. tweeted, this wasn't the first time, nor the second, nor the third. Racism, he said, is normal in Spain's soccer league. And for his home country of Brazil, he said Spain was becoming a country of racists. And has there been fallout in Spain? Yeah, obviously, this was a horrible event, the latest in a string of awful acts directed at Vinicius Jr., as we've mentioned. And the fallout not only here in Spain has been huge, but internationally as well. We've seen sports stars throughout Europe, the U.S., and and beyond rally behind Vinicius Jr., supporting him in what is obviously a very difficult ongoing situation. One of the first people to support Vinicius Jr. was his own coach, Carlo Ancelotti of Real Madrid. At a press conference following the match here in Valencia, he was asked a question about soccer, and he said, I don't want to talk about soccer. I want to talk about what just happened here. And here's what he said. La Liga tiene un problema. Aquí no es una persona. And Ari, he's saying here that the entire Spanish football league, known as La Liga, has a problem. He said it wasn't just one person yelling, but it was instead an entire stadium insulting a player on the basis of his race and that this should have no place in the sport. And how has the sport, Spanish soccer, dealt with it? Yeah, just to show how entrenched this problem is in this league, the chief executive of La Liga, uh, Javier Tebas, actually got into a back-and-forth with Vinicius Jr., on Twitter, where he scolded the player for not showing up to two meetings that La Liga had scheduled to talk about racist incidents. It was really a tone-deaf response. And soon after, the president of Spain's entire football federation called Tebas's behavior irresponsible. And now we're starting to see the fallout being handled by Spanish police. Police? What role are they playing? Well, yesterday, police made seven arrests of people suspected of being involved in past racist attacks against Vinicius Jr. Police in Madrid have detained four young men for hanging an effigy of Vinicius Jr. from a bridge in Madrid in January. They were fans of Madrid's crosstown rival, Atletico Madrid, and three others who were involved in the racist chanting here in Valencia were arrested as well. Both of these events are being treated as hate crimes by police. You're there in Valencia. What are people? I will stop it there. I was amused to hear that story after having read about this uh, Kuiper thing this morning, because we have in the in this case in the the Spain's biggest their Premier League basically right La Liga is uh, one of Europe's biggest uh, soccer leagues. We've got soccer fans chanting monkey at the lone black player. Europeans are racist AF. Yeah, they are. Yeah, I mean, in this case, it was was, uh, a league in Spain. I mean, um, HBO's uh, Real Sports, uh, it's like a sports doc thing they do once a month uh, with uh, Gumbel, Brian Gumbel. There's been at least two separate episodes over the years about, like, 
like racial animus towards players who are black or like Arab or whatever in like Italy and in, in, in Spain and France. And well, France, not as much, but at least those two places and parts of, of Germany, although Germany seems to be better for some reason, there are all these like leagues and like different parts of Europe where people are not only doing the monkey chant or saying monkey in their language they're throwing bananas on the on the feet like you know like just crazy stuff you know there are occasions where uh matches have to happen without an audience because they can't behave themselves they can't resist the racism like i just can't right. I have to do something right and so like they're like <laughs> okay we can't let you even watch the game just watch it at home like it is such a problem that they have to resort to these kind of tactics and it's not working i mean now you have this latest example it's it's an odd thing where like no matter how far along we get you have people that are like "Ooh, what would be fun if we do like a monkey chant that would be a good idea imagine that happening here oh yeah like in the sec like no, you know that, there's a lot of opportunity it's utterly utterly inconceivable that it would happen right. here right it, it's, and I don't think yeah. that that's I don't think that's me having like rose colored glasses or a, or a not understanding American culture. I think that it would be it would it would be the biggest thing well, in the history in part of the goddamn because world. We, no matter where you are, you have a relatively relative to Europe racially diverse audience. Like, except maybe at a NASCAR race. I don't know what you right, call that, those. That, that Match. Is, yeah, yeah. But like wherever you are. There is a black guy somewhere. Right. So, like, you can't have the whole crowd doing it. Yeah, that's true. And, and, and so, even if it's purely out of, out of just um, not wanting to look bad, that, that's, that's all it takes. Right. Because right but that's, what's, that, that's what I'm suggesting is important to understand here is that it would look awful, right? Yeah. It, you would be ashamed. Like, even racists would be ashamed. Right. Because they don't like being looked at as like, except for some very vanishingly small percentage of truly virulent racists. Right. Yep. They we are pe people who harbor unfortunate views like that. Keep them to themselves because of the social opprobrium that comes with expressing those sorts of views publicly. Right. If you had like a the traveling racist, you know, like you have all these shows where they go around eating stuff in random countries, you know, all these travel shows. If you had, like, a traveling racist, like, you you need, like, a uh, environment where you can do these racist things and be comfortable enough to know that you, you'll be able to get away with it, right? So, like, a traveling isn't racist... That just, isn't that just... Isn't that what uh, Jeff Dunham's show was called? <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. But, like, if you tell... If you had, like, an episode of The Traveling Racist and they were in Spain... And they were like, I want to do these things. Like they would feel comfortable. They'll they'll find a crowd, a bunch of people in a part of the uh, of the stadium, and everybody's saying whatever, and no one's gonna rat each other out. No one's gonna say that person did it. To we had Borat, right? Borat maybe, but yeah, if you had like a Borat, but like you know, if if you took that same traveling racist to Auburn, you know, for like the Iron Bowl, right? Like they would right. not have that same level of comfort to to be outwardly racist because you know right. in, a, in maybe in a one on one setting where right. you yeah. gain someone's trust right. or something oh, I'm like sure that. That's happening. Yes, I'm you sure can, there's a lot of one on one. You can get racism. people to reveal yeah. the awful things that they think about other people all the time. Yeah, but not 
not in the way that we imagine it's happening with this, like a Kuiper or with the, that, what was it, the Duke basketball team? The, there was apparently racist chants happening that never got, the, the Duke women's yeah. team, I, I think. Oh, we talked that's about it. Right, yeah. Was it? Is this was it what like we're a, talking about still tonight? Was it like some, some Mormon school or something? Or was that a different? No, yeah, out yeah. in Utah or yeah. something, yeah. But there, yeah, yeah, it can be corroborated, like right? Like it was like they said it, but nobody else could corroborate. Well, the girl heard it. And she seems to genuinely feel. I don't know why we don't just go listen to that episode if this is what we're doing. No, I'm just saying it, it, it all. I'm just saying it all ties together. It it's could a, be it's worse. A thing that happens. <laughs> it's a thing risk. that happens over and over again, and I and it and it largely they're they're myths. Like the, it's it, this is not the way that racism actually is in America. Right. It is how it is in other places. Right. Apparently, in La Liga games, if you go to in Spain and you watch a soccer game, you're going to see a little bit of that right. there. Yeah, but, we have a more sophisticated form of racism here. Alright, uh, Ron DeSantis announced today that he's going to officially uh, run for president. He apparently did this on Twitter uh, with the help of Elon Musk in a Twitter Spaces thing at six o'clock Eastern. I was busy. I didn't get to listen in, nor have I read anything about it. Have you ever been on one of these Twitter Space things? I don't think I've. So I have been on uh, Twitter Spaces because I got a notification a couple of times that my brother Jesse was hosting a Twitter oh. Space, and I'm like, eh, what? Are, what's happening? And so I clicked the thing, and there's Jesse doing like a live podcast on the uh, on the internet there, audio and video, and like is it. No, no, just audio. Okay. So it's just the audio. He was hosting some sort of conversation among whatever, some sort of, some sort of. We've talked about it. Yeah, I'm sure we have. Uh, so it is for for for. I know you didn't see it, but the DeSantis thing was video and audio, or just audio also. Is space? I think it was just audio. I think okay. he was just going on. So he went on at six o'clock. It was moderated by David Sachs, who's some sort of uh, an investor type guy. Who's uh, buddies with Elon Musk and Elon Musk was six o'clock was there yeah six Eastern and then he was going to go on Fox yesterday no tonight so he goes on this Twitter Spaces thing again I don't know exactly what was said there uh, it seemed kind of weird that he was making his official campaign announcement on Twitter Spaces with Elon Musk uh, but for whatever reason Elon has sort of been tagged into this vaguely right wing thing that goes on online i guess uh i mean tagged he seems like he's kind of egging it on like he seems to be doing this by design he's being like fucking roman yeah he's kind of romanish to suggest that he has basically any alignment with anything resembling traditional republican values strikes me as pretty silly he's obviously a social liberal but what are those even right right but I mean, I, it's such a liberal, but that, so is Trump, really. I mean, yeah. The only thing that he's sort of aligned with them on is the the woke mind virus right. stuff. Like he wants he wants all of that to go away, and so he's happy to be friends with some of these Republicans now, I guess. But whatever. I don't think he's smart or interesting enough to think about enough uh, or very much. Uh, but whatever. Uh, that's not what I'm interested in talking about. There is this article in the Times talking about how. His super PAC, DeSantis's super PAC, which is called Never Back Down, uh, and also puts stuff out about, like, Florida man. Like, they're embracing the Florida man aspect of the they DeSantis would. candidacy. An interesting strategy. They're kind of, like, memory-holing no, like, forever. Sense. Like, the relationship America has with Florida 
is not going to make be America Florida is right. one of their yeah. taglines. Right. It's not the campaign itself necessarily, but it is his super PAC, which works closely with him, uh, even if they're not supposed to. Make like, America Florida, as in, if people were trying to move jobs to America, they just pull that, pull the plug on that. And not do it because they're too I, annoying. I have no idea what they think it is they're accomplishing there. I think it is one of the worst taglines I've ever heard. Like, make America Florida is a threat. Right. And it will always. <laughs> and I don't think that that's just my neg- Like, I obviously hate Florida because of uh, football and various other reasons. But also Florida. It's too flat. What are we talking about? Make America Florida. You're out of your goddamn mind. Right. That does not appeal to most people. Right. But I guess he's thinking, like, I got to lean in, you know, because inevitably yes, they're going to make doing. the Florida jokes, you know, that uh, Bugs Bunny, like, yes. thing. And, uh, you know, it's been a punching line, a punchline for, like, how, how long? Like, I mean, it, you can't pretend that. No, not it's happen. the same thing as Donald Trump, act, like, doing the thing he does that we hate even more all the time. Right. Like, it's the same exact thing. Like this thing is disgusting, and fuck you. We're gonna make it even more disgusting. Right, yeah. well, That's all it is. It's not confusing. He's got two hundred million dollars in this super pack, apparently, and they're going to spend something like one hundred million dollars in the next little while, just trying to get the word out about DeSantis. So in uh, important states. So uh, the article talks about this two hundred million dollars. Uh, I had like two two quick thoughts on DeSantis uh, now that he's officially in. Um, it's remarkable how much ground he lost since the midterms. Like the midterms, the story from the midterms in 22 was basically every Trump picked candidate underperformed. Like most of them like lost outright. Other people, it was much closer than it should have been based on the district and how the 2020 election uh, shaked out. Uh, and then on the other side, uh, DeSantis just like mopped the floor with Crest or whomever he ran against. He won by like 20, like a landslide victory. And he was the heir apparent. Everything's looking great. You know, Trump. Uh, then is- he picked a fight with one of the most powerful right. corporations in the world. Right. And, and that's the, that, that, that seems to be going to be a recurring problem for DeSantis because like on paper, he should be like the next person. He's younger than Trump. He, be- you know, he'll execute similar pr- plays to Trump. So it's not like. If you're a Trump person, you're sacrificing policy for if you go with DeSantis. Like he's younger. In theory, he has less baggage, right? Uh, and so, like, that would be an easy transition from, hey, nice run, Trump. Now we can go to DeSantis, and at least it'll be a different matchup than 2020. So you want, you know, because if you run it back, you know, it'll probably be a similar result, right? If it's old man Biden and old man Trump, let's shake it up and, and get DeSantis in. So he has all of this going for him, right? A viable candidate. Uh, and he's on the same platform basically as Trump. Why not? And now that he's announcing in May, uh, he's like 30 points behind Trump, like who has since the midterm failures has gotten more bad news where he's getting indicted and he's going to be indicted again in the summer. Like all the bad things that are happening, he's got the civil uh, case uh, with the sexual assault thing. Like nothing good has you happened mean he's, to him. You mean he's under assault from the mainstream press right. and the liberal media and right. and uh, and typical complaining Democrats and, and rhino Republicans. <laughs> Therefore, it's not in fact anything bad that's happening right. to him. It's so, only being reinforced with 
his base. Right. So, so the problem with the sentence is like this two hundred million dollar uh, push. Uh, this uh, apparently they're gonna have twice as many uh, like foot soldiers or organizers as a Bernie Sanders campaign had, and there were plenty of those, right? So you're thinking all this money, all of these people. Uh, with this outreach, trying to get like Trump supporters to flip, and I'm thinking like, what is the pitch? Like, like Trump is a known candidate, like he's a known person, right? Like, what is DeSantis going to offer that uh, Trump isn't already doing? And also, anytime something negative goes against DeSantis, he's like a very conventional candidate. The polls show a lower mark, right? Like he gets into this ridiculous, absurd fight with Disney, right? This dumb fight and it's not going well for him and it's hurting his, his stock, right? If that, if because this, it's against Republican values. I know, but if this were, if Trump did it, it, it Trump could take a shit on, on the mouse and his right. numbers would stay flat. Like, like for some reason, like Trump, it doesn't matter what bad happens. He'll be where he'll be. DeSantis it ref- like if when he wins the numbers go up if he does something stupid the numbers go down he's like a conventional candidate so like he's going into this race 30 points behind against a guy who can do no wrong i mean he all he does is wrong but the wrong has right. no and impact. he's also deeply unappealing whenever i see him talk DeSantis that's is the a other problem apparently he's a bit of a stiff you know so it's like he's not even yeah. like charming in the way they you know, s- you well, know sl- they sl- believe his super pack his super pack believes that they have and i'll, I'll just quote from this Article, Republican primary voters, Mr. Rowe said, this is the super PAC guy, see the battle against the progressive left as an existential fight. He argues that Mr. DeSantis, not Mr. Trump, has led on three touchstone issues in that fight. One, taking on corporate America. Two, engaging in what is being taught in schools. And three, confronting shifting norms and acceptance around sexual orientation and transgender medical care. So what what we will hear with that $200 million is his fight against Disney, right, taking on corporate America. That's one. Uh, More of this stuff about schools. So if you thought that you were done with the don't say gay stuff and that kerfuffle about the African-American – AP history class right. that he got into at the beginning of the year. Uh, that that will be a feature of this campaign. And three, we will have uh, many more conversations about uh, the transgender medicine stuff. Right. It seems like the uh, the 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 DeSantis blueprint uh, to defeating Trump is to go to the right of him on culture issues. Right. Like just like basically like they they they, they see an opportunity when it comes to abortion. Right. But no one no one actually believes that. No Trump supporter actually believes that anyone is to the right of Trump right. on any culture issue because Trump will just say whatever fucking crazy nonsense uh, he needs to say right. to get the media to freak out about it and therefore establish what the rightmost thing is. And then everyone will, and then the media will talk about how so and so is an ultra right whatever, even though the traditional left right dynamic actually has nothing to do with the conversation whatsoever it's just if trump takes a absurd position then it becomes what the ultra right now believes right. in yeah he can literally shape what the party is DeSantis doesn't have that that power so like if like a year from now things flipped you know because Paul, these uh sunday morning talk show talking head types are like oh back in 2007 obama was 30 points behind hillary and and he turned things around like Obama's on the ascendancy, and 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 DeSantis seems to be kind of just stuck in this position. And and 
other candidates obviously see a weakness because now it's going to be what was I forget the number that you had as far as the GOP field like 15, 16, 17. It's going to be some ridiculous numbers. You're going to have to have two different nights of debates like the A, a crowd and the right. B crowd. Again, it's going but to be the same. It's going to be a monster field right. like I said it was going yeah, to be. And, and we have Tim Tim Scott is now also officially yep. in as of this week. Uh, and is DeSantis your boy going to get in? He keeps on going back and forth. It looks like Northam you know? is n- not Northam. I always say Northam. Yeah. It's not Ralph Northam. He was the Democrat. What is his name? Glenn, Glenn Youngkin, Youngkin is the Republican yeah. governor of Virginia. He cannot run again in Virginia. He's not permitted to run for back-to-back terms. And so I, I could see no reason why he wouldn't get into this race if he wants to stay in the national eye. Right. And apparently, after saying that he wasn't going to, it looks like his camp is reconsidering uh, entering the race. I mean, and he it's going to be a a big bunch. He released that like that you know that that weird ad that wasn't really an ad. Right, he went to the Reagan. I think he went to the Reagan Library and gave a big speech about how he was essentially he is the inheritor right. of the Reagan legacy, and he's the one to carry the Reagan torch forward. And uh, put out a Twitter video to that effect, which looks by all readings exactly like a campaign. Right, video very polished. Yeah, and 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 it's weird that there is the that lane is is somewhat available. Right, that there could be somebody who can take on the the Reagan legacy because Trump, like, I don't need none of that or the Bush stuff. Like, I'm my own thing, right? And everybody else is trying to be Trump, the Trump legacy. Right, you would think that it would that's Nikki Haley's lane in a normal sort of year, but Nikki Haley is not interested in that lane because she's would rather pick a fight with with the cultural leftists. Right. Right. right? She would she's much more interested in making Dylan Mulvaney jokes right. at at events in New Hampshire, which I don't know what I don't know what these people think this translates to out in the wider world. Uh but whatever. Rather make Dylan Mulvaney jokes than just go after fucking Trump, the front runner, who you're going to have to beat, you idiots, if you're going to actually win anything. There was this other article that came out today in uh, the New York Times. The headline is, for one group of teenagers, social media seems a clear net benefit. And this was on the heels of the Surgeon General releasing a report. It's like a 20-page government report, which means there's like 400 useful words in it. talking about how social media might not be great for the kids. And, of course, this has none, no force of law whatsoever. It's just sort of a, you know, the Surgeon General, just sort of a bully pulpit right. for trying to make people live better lives. It doesn't, it, it doesn't get into any real specifics. I'm not thrilled by the research that the Surgeon General's report cites, so I'm not convinced yet that social media is uh, can be scientifically shown to be a net negative for humans or utes or uh whatever it's it's it feels yeah feels right to me Uh, it feels like uh, that's true and that spending too much time in front of screens and in these weird social relationships with imaginary i mean not imaginary people there are people over there but they function as unreal humans to you there was a 18, 19, 20-year-old kid who rented a U-Haul and tried to ram it at the White House, and he has like a – I don't know if if they confirmed that there was a Nazi flag. It was like some flag that was not, you know, Nazi-like, and it was like some Indian kid, right? And it's like that's the internet. Like, I mean, that's some internet stuff. Like you're just on some 4chan thing, and you just consume all this nonsense, and then you think you're whatever. Like that's – it's the first time – is every time I hear about Indians and the swastika, 
It's like, no, no, you see, it's not the same yeah, one. Yeah, it's yeah. a different sort of, it's the other one. The things go in the other direction. Yes. It means something good. This it's is nice. the first time that I've heard an Indian interacting with the, the actual swastika, and it turns out to have been the bad one. When I went to India, we walked into a jewelry store, and as you walk in, they open up all the safes, like, to show you. Yeah. And on the insides, there were just swastikas. Oh, at, like, yeah. And it, like, just like, holy shit. Open up, open up the swastika and safes then, for the white lady. Yeah. We know she's got money. And I, I was with Nitty, and I was just like, what the fuck? And she was like, no, it means different. Yeah. It's nice. It's a nice thing it's, here. No, they could, like, they could smell the Jew before. on you, and they're trying to scare you out. <laughs> it's a good swastika. Or try, they don't know. They see the, they're welcoming me. Like, oh, hi, white girl. Anyway, anyway, moving along. The one group of teenagers that social media seems a clear net benefit for is LGBTQ youth. Because researchers and teenagers well, say it, it can be a lifeline for them. And I, without getting into the specific details here, I, I just want to say this is the sort of thing that drives me the most crazy about identitarian politics, about, about the, the politics of identity and – and it by making this sort of distinction by saying it's it the research currently points to the idea that social media exposure and constant exposure to these screens uh and and the weird parasocial relationships that we have with the people that we interact with them on is a net negative for humanity uh because it's a it's a terrible experience for a human being but if you're this other kind of human being right. then in fact that cancels out that the 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 fact of this particular portion of your identity actually cancels out the rest of your humanity in a way right. and says because you're this weirdo now this thing that's actually bad for normal humans for the rest yeah, of us who don't identify say the in this way the same thing about religion in a lot of ways i don't know i don't understand the connection it's just that, like, religion's probably bad, but for lonely people, the, the community part makes it good enough to not be bad. Yeah, I don't think that you can say that religion is necessarily—I don't think you can say it's bad in the same way that we would say that social media is bad. Maybe it's not the, the same, but it's the, the same human, kind of thing. The human instinct for religion, I think, might be a net negative. Uh, I don't think you can say that every instance of— but in every instance of social media isn't negative either. Yeah, sure. That's what I'm saying. It's I, I think you can say the same thing about religion. For It's kind of probably not great, but for some people, it's keeping them alive. Same thing can be said about social media for the queer kid in the middle of nowhere, Lubbock, Texas. Yeah, I think that on balance, while religion produces very negative outcomes for some percentage of people i think that the balance is is sort of the opposite like i know I, I, i'm not saying it's the same i'm saying it's similar okay sure fine uh i do wonder if if the you know i, I was reading the, the article because and it must have been some sort of they must have gotten a heads up that the surgeon general on tuesday was going to publish something because the next day wednesday there was already like this written up thing that went like the next right. day it was like i got the uh notification like on one day and then the next day it was like oh but for this one subset of humans um eh, not so bad you know maybe keep it up right and so i was like that's weird how they got it so fast but i do wonder if they made this argument clumsily in the article but i do wonder if the argument that they're getting at is that you know like remember the masks 
back in the day with the with that virus that was going around. Uh, and mm-hmm. there were all these studies, and they were like, well, however effective masks are in the most like ideal situations, the way people were going about using it was not effective, and it wasn't any yeah. good. Right? At a popu- at a population level, we failed to properly mask, and therefore masks don't work. Right, and, and I suspect, but it also. You're good. Oh, I'm sorry. So just to kind of finish the point, like, so in theory, on paper, there is a way to use the internet in a, in a good way, right? However, the way people are using it is harmful. And for most people, they're not uh, filling a void of like a lack of community, lack of support or whatever. So like all the stuff they're seeking out the internet for is like negative stuff to be like trolls or like watch too much porn or just like that. Or it just, yeah, yeah. just bad for them. And then the people who are like, they live in some bumfuck Kansas place and they don't have a community to support them. They go online and they seek to fill that void. And so like in that specific situation, that is like one of the positive ways that the internet can help you. Right. But for most people, they're not, you know, like a regular, regular, a a person who doesn't, doesn't fall under these categories. They're not seeking out some specific community you know, they're just there just to use the internet in, in a regular way. In 2001, 2002, I was a freshman in college. My entire social media presence was my AOL AIM instant messenger account. That's not social media. It, it was That's similar. texting. Right. But it was similar for me to social media. You had an ability. It was, it's a, it was absolutely a proto-social media. You it could, was. I, I think it was just texting. You could post away messages in the same way that you could sort of post a message on your wall with Facebook many years later. It was a way for me to communicate with a very small chosen group of friends uh, what my stat, literally what my status was, including I would throw, I used it exactly like I used Facebook in the early days where you put up stupid lyrics from a song that you're listening to. You, in your away, as your away message, you put up uh, gone to dinner at the dining hall or whatever the fuck. Like I basically used it as a Facebook wall in addition to using it as its intended purpose, which was a messaging service. So to me, that was my first experience with what felt like social media. It was a performance of myself for a small selected group of friends, a couple of hundred people on my AOL uh, aim list. And the, and the really like the dozen or so that I would actually talk to on a regular basis. So to me, it was very much a, uh, an early version of, uh, like a MySpace page or a, or a Facebook page, the way that we used to understand them. So I'm not one of these, uh, uh, LGBTQ plus people. I would have said in 2001, 2002, that this was a, this is just how I talk to my friends, that this is just a normal right. net benefit thing for me. Ultimately, I was a lonely kid my freshman year in college. I didn't make very many new friends. I had a couple of friends from high school, but I didn't fucking do anything. I didn't go out and play and hang out and like do normal college kid stuff. For the most part, I just went to class and moped about in my room and chatted on AIM with my old high school friends. And, uh, that wasn't good, right? (laughs) Like, even though to me in the moment, it felt like a net benefit and it gave me a sense of belonging and community with my friends that I had previously established in, in earlier times in my life. It didn't help me at all in any meaningful way. Not even in the moment. Uh, I mean, look, if you thought of it as a bridge to like, okay, for a year until I kind of find my footing in this new environment, 
I'm going to have... No, it's not how I was thinking of it. I wasn't that self-aware. To me, it was just a great way to talk with people that I liked and cared about and not have to worry about making new groups of friends or anything along those lines. And it ended up, like, by the end of freshman year, sort of towards the beginning of sophomore year, I ended up with a good group of friends who I would, like, hang out with in a normal sort of uh, grown-up sort of so way. So what was the problem? The problem was that I did not get out of my room in the same way that I would have had I not had that social media lifeline uh, sitting there on my laptop 24 but hours a day. But maybe you would have just driven home. No, I wouldn't have. I mean, I know that I wouldn't have. I'm just saying that— But you're saying so absent, even though, absent this ability to communicate online that was available to you, you would have been more compelled to make friendships sooner, like in— person i think i would have been i would have definitely been more likely to hang out with the people in real life who i had sort of semi-social relationships with whether it was my roommate and whatever his group of friends were or or uh, a couple of kids that i became friendly with in a couple of classes uh or just my old high school friends like i was on a hall with i mean i didn't i wasn't friends with him but there were six dudes that i knew on my not just on my floor but just on my hall right. like we sent we sent 120 kids to uga my freshman wow. year right there were a ton of us <laughs> so i knew plenty of people and in fact was good friends with a couple of them but i didn't get out nearly as much as i should have because i had all the social outlet that i needed right there on the computer but could you apply – okay, so I understand that. But you can apply your situation to an LBGT person in Kansas. There, that opportunity is not available for them to like – right? I mean like if you came to Athens, Georgia, and people were just hostile to baseball and you love baseball. I think we tend to overplay – I think we tend to overplay how isolated everybody is in their own – How everybody is versus how isolated they feel. Right. Right. They feel isolated because they don't go out and experience the world and find other people in real life to have normal social human interactions with. And instead, they complain about being isolated on the Internet all the time. But you don't think that that's actually – It's it's absolutely a self-reinforcing thing and – Maybe in, and the, the, in in some cases, but you don't think that the, 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 it, it it reflects accurately what they're experiencing. Like they are being shunned by this conservative, like small gr- group of people. I think you know? it, it, in very in, in relatively rare cases, relative to the way that we imagine it, uh, is is someone actually in such a small area that they cannot make friends with other little weirdos like themselves, right? And that's what it comes down to for me is. Yes, we, we hear about the LGBTQ community as though it's some sort of identity, as though as though it's some way of defining yourself and 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 uh, finding a position for yourself in the world. In reality, I think it's no different than the experience of most other sad, lonely kids. And and it just it, I don't know why we have to make these sorts of distinctions. Uh, the, the, there are always sad little weirdos who are on their own and have to find have to build their own communities out of the other sad little weirdos out here. It's, it has always been such, right? It's, right. It, it's just normal human stuff. And to suggest that these people exist outside of the normal rules of all of the rest of us because of their unique so-called, when, like, what does it even mean to be u- uniquely LGBTQ plus at this point, considering that uh, in excess of 25 or 30 percent or something of Gen Zers identify in that fashion? Like, what are we even talking about? Who's isolated at this point? I mean, doesn't even make any sense. At some point, like, 
you know, I, I, I can see how some people could mischaracterize something, but a lot of people are saying these things. Like, I mean, they can't all be making it up. That is their experience of life. It may not be like your experience. You don't think that there's like some big city No, bot- I'm saying it is absolutely an experience of life, a perfectly normal no, human you, experience okay. but, of life that we all go but through you don't th- overwhelmingly. But how do you know? Okay, so not you, everybody. You, my brother, my brother, you know, I have uh, forward-facing... Uh, what is the word? Not introverted. Okay. I have extroverted family members who would never experience this sort of thing. And then I have introverted family members and friends who have experienced being an isolated weirdo, right. right? I felt like an isolated weirdo at times. That's just what happens. It's just that it's just a normal aspect of, of human experience and your particular identities, though they are uh, unique and personal to you, don't actually play a role in a meaningful way. And you and you can rule out a, uh, a a city a big city bias on your end. You don't think that people live in bumfuck wherever are experiencing a different. Yeah, sure. I'm and I'm not. I, I, first of all, if at the low end, five percent of people are uh, uh, the absolute low end. The number that I used to hear is that like five percent of people are gay, right? Something something along those lines. That's what it was ten percent. Ten percent. That can see whatever. Okay, ten percent. So then, ten out of every one hundred people are gay. Yeah. You got to live in a really small town to not be able to find any other gays, but right? But that's the thing. They're not allowed to act. They're allowed, oh. obviously, but they don't find each other. They might find each other on the fucking internet right. and the, by on their Google location. It's like, oh, look, right. I found the other gay person in my town that's my age. Right. And, like, that's your only choice for a friend that's like you? What I'm saying is that the sort of relationships that you build online, and I think it's obvious when you look at any of the isolated weirdos who congregate online, it's usually bad outcomes, right? It's not, it's, it's not unique to... Uh, white nationalist weirdos who isolate, who, who gather themselves right. online. The and, world of Warcraft and people. Feel, right. Isolated weirdos. It, it, it's not always going to be a positive experience. And that's all I'm saying. Just because uh, you've got a 14-year-old who feels like uh, you're killing them if you take their phone away because they can't make any re- friends in real life, you're not. They are, they are living an impoverished life if they're spending 20 hours a day looking at their fucking phone. And I wonder I, what your second youngest cousin would have to say about this be interesting i don't know who you're talking about just say the name chris i think he would agree with me that living yeah, entirely I just, no, I'm online not saying, is an, i wonder is what he would have to life. say because he would disagree i literally wonder what he would have to say uh just for uh the record uh bob you're saying despite uh, your misgivings about the science like the overall thinking is that the internet is a net negative for everybody there's no carve outs there's no, no social group. media yeah, social, yeah yeah particularly social okay. media yeah i i the, I don't take think away that, the internet. I don't think that you can carve out a particular identitarian group and say these people know how to use it right. without, and that that somehow the benefits outweigh the the harms. I think that I think you said back in two thousand whatever the fuck that we're going to find out that cell phones are uh, the thing that ruined us yes. that 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 they're giving us all brain cancer or yeah. whatever. And you sort of said it as a as a glib sort of joke because. We just accepted them into our lives. It's like we went from one day, nobody has, uh, weirdos have car phones maybe, Uh, these big brick things that uh, lawyers carry around. Uh, And then all of a sudden it's like smartphones have 90% uptake and we're all just walking around with them. Like nobody really thought about it. And I sort of enjoy that from a 
a more philosophical, less uh, brain killing sort of way that like, what if this, th- what if this technology that we've all adapted is completely uh, maladaptive to the human experience, that it's actually uh, a malignant presence in our lives. And we've never really uh, considered the possibility that just because we can, uh, maybe we shouldn't. Right. And, and my, uh, my next uh, flippant prediction is that uh, this Gen Z, this uh, younger generation that's coming through, that their entire experience is the Internet. Like we were kind of – we yeah. straddled. Uh, both ways like they're like we are the superior generation yes they're like the the guinea pig generation like we're gonna learn a lot about what happens to them and change course like oh those people are fucked yes well i've been i talk all the time about how i think that for example our kids are gonna be so different than teenagers right yes. now like it's not even that big of an right, age difference right. but because we're like fuck no you can't have social media yeah. are you insane like, no, the horrible idea like, i talk about it all the time <laughs> yeah. it's gonna change real yeah. fast it better like and i mean like i don't think that we're i don't think that we're gonna be the only parents that's who are what like, i mean absolutely not like, like it's as a group all of us all of us superior elder millennial generation are all like absolutely my kids are not getting cell phones right. like I'm horrified are... by my own use. I'm horrified by how much time I spend looking at the screen and want to work to do better. And and that is that is before I look at like what my youngest siblings are doing with the fucking things. Like, no, yeah. this is not how life <laughs> is supposed to be. I don't care how it makes you feel right. in the moment. This is obviously very bad for right. you. And I can Bob's tell. Bob's not going to let our kids read comics this summer. That's how hardcore and, he and you is. Know, the, the thing is, not, you know, I don't, I don't envy you parents because, like, at some point, like, it is, like, you can do the best you can up to a certain point, and once they have a peer group and they're, like, in middle school and up, like, they're fucked. It's like, yeah, it gets tougher when the everybody else is doing yeah, it thing happens, yeah. but, well, like, sorry. Yeah. But especially because now we it's, – it's sort of like being a person who doesn't want to drive a car anymore, right? right. It's in, in the way that – the entire society, all of civilization here in the States is built around the idea that every person sits at home in, uh, in an isolated fashion and then gets in a car to go to the grocery store or to go get a gallon of milk from the corner store do anything. or whatever. Yeah. That's the, it's just the default. And to be a weirdo living in the suburbs who doesn't want to drive a car, it requires Herculean effort to be a person who isn't in a car right. at that I mean, at point? That point right? it, like you have to go. It, it would be disruptive to just your everyday life. Like you, you would, it would have to be like in like in a very concentrated area to make it work. Right, and that's what I mean with the kids. Like when they go to high school, and we have to pick them up at different times because we have different things going on, or like whatever the crazy lives get. There's no more public phones around. Yeah. They no. can't just. They can't just send us a a, a quick uh, no, we, deeper message or something no, along those lines. No, but we can get lines. them phones that don't do anything that call, but call us. Right, and that's like a- you can do that. We have the technology to track every little movement they make. Like every text they send, we can see it. Right. It's still going to feel like weirdly hypocritical when I hand them the phone that only does the one thing. Like, no, but it's like you feel... said about the two-year-old with the gentle parenting, like you're a fucking idiot kid. You don't get the same phone I get. Sorry. Right. All right. Um, real quick on the Euthyphro. Abe, did, you didn't happen to read uh, Plato's Euthyphro, did you? I did. All right. What was your impression of, of Euthyphro? More specifically, how... Hold on. (laughs) Lori has a very specific, (laughs) almost as though it is a homework-like question. Hold on. Hold on. 
on Euthyphro. Uh, okay, so let's just say um, there's a kid who's a foster kid who is aging out of the system. Mm-hmm. And he has like criminal friends, like street this is buddies. Such a stupid question, yeah. by the way. But go ahead. My my teacher pointed out, like he was like, I didn't write these questions. <laughs> like he's very not not thrilled about this. Um, so he has friends, and they kind of want him to join their gang. That's not what it says, but that's the subtext. Um, Oliver had some encounters with church and other adults, but he started to wonder, how do we know what is right and wrong? And uh, specifically, Euthyphro's Dilemma, and I don't know how it pertains to this, actually, but the question is, how does it help us understand the relationship between religion and ethics? Which, to me, it doesn't. Okay. That's interesting. So this is like I'll a- let Abe uh, <laughs> characterize his... Uh, his experience of reading this as he wants to, and yes. then we'll get yes. back to your question. So, so, so my, uh, I just read it, uh, just, just now I had to like, uh, Google, like, just so I can hear how that, that word is. You, you I did the same. Yeah. Cause I like, I don't know what that is, but, uh, so it seems like, like my takeaway seems to be like, are, are, is it like an, is there like an objective, like right or is it right because an authority said it's right. Right. So basically like religion, like God is saying, this is the way, because I said it versus like the other way of thinking like this, you know, don't murder people because it's wrong to murder people. Not because somebody told you not to do it. So it's like mm-hmm. the distinction is what is the source of the authority? Is it like the person or like God in, in one case or just it's like a self-evident truth where this is just the wrong thing to do or the right thing to do? Uh, and so, like, it just depends. To me, like, it, it just comes to, like, what are you looking for? Like, people seek out religion for many things and not necessarily just for, like, an objective truth. Like, is that what people are seeking? Like, I I, I don't get this dilemma because, like, for religion, there's there's a, a, a host of things that people are for. You know, fellowship, community, meaning, purpose, all that stuff, right? And so, like, if it satisfies those Ethics things. Ethics has almost nothing to do with it. Right. Ethics has nothing to do with that. It just kind of stands on its own. And so it's like, if you're in it for salvation or, or belonging or whatever, you're going to, whatever God said, like, hey, take a shit on Sundays only. All right, I'm going to do that. Like, I'm not going to question it. And the whole thing of, of faith is that you shouldn't think about, like, it doesn't make sense or it does make sense or there's an objective reason or some other reason. It's just you do it because you're told and that's the authority. And so, like, I don't know, like, in, in, not to go back to your uh, assignment, but, like, what is the the root of the question about this uh, gang? Should so I join a gang or not? The question seems to be, Oliver is a, is a kid who's about to find himself choosing between staying in, like, on, on the, the straight and the narrow right path, path and, and going to the foster home and, and trying to be a good kid, or he can find community with uh, the criminals on the street. And the criminals on the street, the, the gangs have been like, hey, come hang out with us. Fuck it. It's way better here. And they give him a couple dollars for food and that sort of thing. And how do we convince Oliver? Uh, kind that- of. the What I said in my response to Oliver in the question was, I don't know how 
the distinction between ethics and religion has to do with your particular situation, but like, right. yeah. I don't see how that pertain. They yeah. have to ask yeah. the question, you know, like right. I, right. I will play your game. You fucking college. I hate it, but like, yes. I'll play your stupid game. But yeah, right. I didn't even need to tell you what the prompt was, except the, this the relationship, the relationship between ethics and religion, which I said, if there is one, my answer, final answer, is Socrates, the character who I dislike because okay. he reminds me of my husband when he's okay. being a dick. <laughs> um, Socrates is doing logic where he's trying to use logic. He's doing ethics. He's doing ethics where right. he's trying to use logic and you know, eliminating the choices that don't make sense to determine what is right or wrong, where right. Euthyphro is doing religion. Right. 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 God is always the one I'm who's... Right. God is telling you uh, not to do something I'm just right. because... Philosophy. Check. Just because God says so, whereas <laughs> yeah. uh, we have been given the tools of, of reason and logic and rationality to try to come to uh, some firmer answers on these questions. And ultimately... Uh, Euthyphro is presented by Socrates with uh, what's called Euthyphro's Dilemma, uh, which is an unsolvable one, which is that you can't really ever figure out whether something is good because some external authority says it's good or if something is good on its own terms. Uh, it's, a, it's a difficult thing to work your way through, certainly. Anyway, I'm done reading Plato. I have to take but my you test know- tomorrow. <laughs> in in- you know, it may be a hard thing to to resolve, but it's incompatible with religion, though, right? Like, you can, mm-hmm. it can be either or if your pursuit is religion. Reli- the, the authority source has to be God, right? Because, like, if it's the other thing, then something independent of God is determining... Which is sort of Socrates' whole point, is that we should have humility when we're confronting these sorts of questions, because the, they're, they're, these are not answers that we can actually truly know you could have you could decide uh to just have faith or decide to have uh decide that yes here is the foundation right here's this turtle on which the world sits and therefore uh that's just the fucking way it is and that's the way that i've decided it. And i'm going to build my entire uh worldview around this one particular uh foundational tenet of faith uh but you must acknowledge that that's what it is right there's you can't you can't then say and it is true for everyone, right? You cannot then right. go further and say, uh, this is the case because I say it is the case. There are a lot of religious people in the world, I guess, but also in this class. And some people, like a good chunk of people, cannot get away from, like, what they read is the gods, you know, because the paper, the whatever yeah. you, you call this thing, um, what is it? What do you call it? What story? What do you dialogue? Dialogue, um, you know, the gods are referred to, and right. like, well, what if one god likes it and the other, like Zeus, doesn't like the yeah, same thing right. as yeah. the other guy? Yeah. So many of them hinge on. Well, the problem is that you have too many gods. Right, right. You need just the one, and then you'll have the. Then you'll know what the right answer is, and it's like, right. no, you fucking moron! <laughs> Your one god is pretend too. Right. That's true. I mean, you know, I was, uh, but again, it, it goes back to like, what are they looking for? There are so many things that come with believing the religion thing. There's like nothing but just like fact with the other. It's like a hopeless kind of thing. It's just like, ah, oh, it is the right thing to do. 
you get no heaven. There's no reconnection with loved ones. There, it's just it is right. So like yeah. it's the less sexy option, and that's why religion thrives. There's like hope. They, they traffic in hope. Yeah. Right. I think that the way, point the point of the dialogue is for Socrates to be able to point out, or for Plato to point out, that this is just one of a billion chicken or the egg problems, basically, right? Yeah. Like that, we will never know if that which is pious is pious because it's good, or if it's only pious because the gods love it. Like these, are, these are the sort of things that don't—they're irresolvable, and right. uh, the only way to resolve them is to uh, uh, place them upon an irrational uh, foundational faith. And that's fine if that's what you choose to do, I guess. Yeah, it's all fine. There's also that other. What is that? Uh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Like your. The answer is in the eye of the like the person who's like looking at it. Like, is whatever you think is the right thing is the right thing. Right. So, is a great work of art great because it's great, or is it great because a lot of people think it's great? And I mean, the second. <laughs> yeah, big fan of the Avatar movies. I was movies saying earlier and, uh, today, I was excited. <laughs> all those fucking Marvel movies. To hear Abe's just definitive, like, yet the second one. <laughs> That's it's it. Very simple. <laughs> Not, I, oh, I disagree. Yeah, I, I believe that I believe that something I mean, can be great on its own terms and be utterly unappreciated by uh, any any of the many it, billions of assholes out there in the world. Could you be no, one of those assholes that doesn't appreciate things that are truly great? Yeah, I think that. Okay. I, and and I've come to honest terms. I believe when interacting with uh, certain works of art and believing that. It is great, but it's not for me. And also, I think that it is perfectly fine for a person to say this wildly popular thing yeah. is an obvious piece of shit and is not good. Uh, and it's mostly, but it doesn't make it objective truth. It's just like one person's. Yeah. You know, well, no, it doesn't make it objective, but it means that you can argue for okay. it, right? And and right. most of the arguments for the shitty piece of art are just, oh, I like it. Well, that's not an argument, you stupid asshole. <laughs> are we talking about the other things or not? What other thing? The other the other two, the Republic, no, where they not, argue we're not the whole there. time. Well, you guys, the Republic, Plato's Republic, is about a bunch of people arguing, which is upsetting to me, and I'll never read it again. And then we also had to read Aristotle, where he says he says, okay, so you have like the function of the eye is to see stuff. And the function of the flute maker is to make really good flutes. And the function of the flute player is to play the flute really well. And then he's like, what is the function of a, of a, of a human? And the conclusion he comes to is to think. When it seems fairly obvious to me that the answer is to fucking get a job. Like figure out what it is that your purpose is. It can't just be thinking. That's right. that's cute for a philosopher to say, "Oh, I'm doing the right thing." See, right. this is yeah. what we this is what we're here for is the thinky stuff. We are here like, yeah. uh, get a goddamn job. Get a fucking job. We are here to observe and report. You can do that while having a job. That is the highest good to observe. You can make flutes <laughs> while report. you observe and report. I don't know that this guy would consider getting a job, but he could have. I think he did. He was a teacher. You've been listening to us 
our observations. He taught one of the most murderous people that's ever existed. And reportages. Cast Iron Brains, a podcast with Bob and Abe. You can find the show on Facebook or Twitter. Head on over to brainiron.com, castironbrains.com for a show note. The opening and closing themes of our show were composed by Mark Gillig, tetramermusic.com, T-E-T-R-A-M-E-R music.com. Abe, did you make it to the movies in the past seven days? I did. Uh, This has been a rough month for, like, movies as far as like good movies like just guardians of the whatever was not very good hypnotic was very bad uh and now i went to go watch fast 10 the latest installment of this stupid fucking franchise that never ends uh with vin diesel and company um my understanding going into the movie by the way not a very good movie but going into it i did not expect a good movie so uh, i'm not surprised there i'm not knocking it for it being bad right uh my understanding going into the movie was like there was going to be this one and then there was going to be like one more, right? Maybe. Mm. That's all I knew. But this movie, this not very good movie, uh, ends on a cliffhanger, which was like very infuriating. Like it's like, no, we're we're not going to cliffhang this stupid thing. Like Almost like almost like the end of a part one rather than a it, true there, movie. I mean, they, they did that classic, like, the camera just kind of, like, focuses on the surprise ca- It was, like, the Wonder Woman lady. She's, like, somebody in this fucking universe. I don't know what she does, but... Uh, Is she in these movies? I didn't know she's she been in, in a bunch of them. Yeah, she's been in a bunch of them, but, like... Fuck. The movie is, like, two hours in. I'm like, all right, what's going on? This movie is not coming to an end. It's still going. Is it just like a big stupid soap opera? Like, is that the appeal of this? That it's basically like uh, soap opera, like uh, wrestling or whatever? It's the same sort of thing? So the the formula seems to be a new big bad shows up in one of the the movies, right? Let's say The Rock uh, or that Jason Statham guy or Charlize Theron uh, and now Jason Momoa, right? Like... In one movie, like Fast Five, like the big bad is the big bad. And then in the next one, they're like part of the family. They're like, all right, we may have had our differences, but uh, <laughs> this new reality compels us to blah, right. blah, blah. And so Charlize Theron was the bad in the last one. And the movie opened with her like, oh, I know you hate me, but like we have a bigger concern. And it's like the right. charming Momoa guy being like – There's always, being a, there's always a bigger fish, yeah. right? There's, there's, yeah. So – in a two-parter like this, I don't know if Momo is going to become good all of a sudden in this continuation. But like, don't don't watch it unless you're into cars. I mean, there are a lot of room, room. Oh, you no, know, certainly. Yeah, we're not. We're the going first to. couple like relatively grounded in reality, and then <laughs> the like, first one was kind of fun. And then the I, second I never one, saw them. I've never seen a single so, one of these for more than ten seconds. I think I there's think. like a, a meme out there, but there, uh, uh, somebody was. Uh, cropped the two pictures between the the, the first of one, uh, Fast and the Furious and the most recent one. And it's and it was like, the, it started out, they were like, the, the plot of the first one was like, they're stealing like DVD players or like PlayStation 2s. And then like the most, not the, the Fast 10, but the last one, Fast 9, um, they were like going to space. It's like, they, they, it's like a lot of range. Like every new installment, they have to get more ridiculous. Uh, yeah. It doesn't make any sense, but uh, yeah. So there's definitely going to be an 11. Will, will they ever stop? How much money did this one make this weekend? It actually did, it, it, it did less than $100 million. Like, I don't know if they're oh, expecting more. Maybe interest is waning. Maybe they really will wrap it, it up. It is. I mean, the, the theater I was in was mostly full, but like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, they're going to do at least one. And it seemed like 
they're going to do a bunch of spin-offs like all these little characters are going to have their own thing the fast the fast universe like yeah. The, the yeah yeah great yeah. Anything else? Did you or just the one this week? No, uh on on the movie front that's what I watched. But you know, uh HBO uh launched their new like streaming thing this week. Uh, just Max is what they're calling it. Yeah. And they had to ditch the HBO <laughs> label because uh when you have a uh prestigious and universally recognized uh for quality uh, brand like HBO, what you want is to ditch it and just go with <laughs> yeah. a, an utterly meaningless uh, one three letter thing called Max. Yeah, that that's what they're going for. So like, uh, I, I I was kind of browsing the 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 the, the new library uh, for like new shows because I don't watch too many like shows from TLC and whatever the hell's coming on Some- board. Yeah, and and some of the shows are like I haven't watched all of them, but you know that Doctor Pimple Popper thing is part of the package now. There's a show called uh, Milf Manor. There's uh, a show called. It's just like a lot of like Milf Manor is the one where they put a bunch of uh, middle aged ladies in a house, and then they put a bunch of their twenty uh, year old sons in the same house. Oh, is and that the try gimmick? to try to get them to sleep with each other is that but real are you describing a real thing it's this is milf manor it's an actual reality show in which a bunch of uh horned up middle-aged women are put in a house with their horned up 20 year old sons and then are told to fuck each other but not not along the incestual line right right of course of course come on this is a family show to, to branch uh, out by the yeah. way uh don't tell me whether or not this is true just yet uh but when i was looking at the titles of the these shows i was thinking of like that whack shit wacky shit that you you right because literally like some of these things like if bob had like concocted like oh this new show is called milf manor and the conceit is cross-pollinating like whatever (laughs) it's it's like this i would just think oh that's totally made up is it made up? Is that actually? It's the, not. That's it's a real thing. These are real. Uh, my six hundred pound life and like no, all of the different. Is the Milf Manor plot what you described? That's what it is. Yeah, I didn't just make that up. That's literally true. <laughs> it sounds made up. Anyway, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm just perusing the new library of content. So I haven't played around with the app since the the new one launched. Did they like segregate off hbo into its own vertical no like, it's, it's, i mean basically it's like these rows of content and so it's not that different from the hbo max like it's slightly different but like at least on my phone i haven't used it on my tv i just was playing around mm-hmm. with it while i was hard at work uh uh and, <laughs> and it seemed like they just added new content but it wasn't it didn't look that different you had to download mm-hmm. a new app I saw some complaining about it on the internet. Apparently, launch day was yeah, not. Yeah, but that just means it exists. Not great. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, you just sent us a picture. Uh, you, me, and my ex awake surgery. Is that one of those like people who were supposed to be put under, but in fact were not put under? Yeah, that's yeah. only what it sounds like. God damn! What a nightmare. I mean, there's there's similar nightmarish content on Netflix all of the time, though. So yes. But I guess there's a there's a demand for it. There, there's that channel that's like you know my husband killed me or whatever. Like it's just everything is just like some weird. Well, true crime is a whole different thing. Right. There's nothing more embarrassing than like if we have somebody at our house and I have to navigate to Netflix, and you go into the like 
You're just talking about Abe. Keep, you know, continue watching. It's like, no, no, don't don't show them what fucking trash we put on at like 12:30 at night when we're not even really looking at the television. Amazon but, keeps acting like we've watched shit that we have not watched. Oh. I think Amazon is like they're showing it to us in our sleep because we put on some trash to go to sleep to yeah. uh, some some bad Christian movies. And it's like, hey, you watched this whole uh, entire series of uh, bad Christian documentaries. Like, no, I didn't. What are you talking about? And ba- like, yeah, you did. And you Bezos liked is it. like, you did, and you watched it, and you're going to watch more of it. Yeah. It's fucking creep. Uh, did we watch anything? We sure did. For as long as it's existed, I've wanted to see Whiplash, oh, yeah. and I'd never seen oh, it. No and now it's on Amazon. Oh, yeah. And we were doing the stupid shit we do, where you, the activity is what are we going to watch? And as soon as that scrolled by, I was like, that one, that one. that's it. Press yeah. play. That's it. Stop scrolling. Yeah. So it that's so good. Damien Chazelle, the guy yeah. who I think this is his first big big movie, as I if I have my timeline down. Yeah, correctly. right. I think so. Because he is he the one that did La La Land is. and uh, Babylon he did La La that La La didn't do so hot, and then that movie that came out last year that didn't make any money about uh, the Hollywood yeah. like early '30s Hollywood or something. Yeah. Um, Babylon. Yep. Yeah, uh, which I also wanted to see and we'll see eventually. But uh, Whiplash was great. So good. And how how much was it like finding Forrester? It's not. I mean, it's it's certainly sort of. Harsher than Finding Forrester. Uh, I just know you like that movie so much. Yeah, yeah, I love Finding Forrester. I don't, I don't think of them as similar movies at all. Uh, this is a movie that is entirely about uh, what it takes to be great at right. something, right? And it's, uh, Abe. I'm surprised. I'm not necessarily surprised that you liked it because it is a, as a movie on its own. It's a good movie. It's so I good. imagine you disagree. With the of course, teaching of course. methods I think it's ridiculous. employed I, 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 by the J.K. Simmons character. I, my problem, my one problem with the movie, I, it's like my only literal time. So he's drumming so much that his hands are bleeding. Yeah. They make gloves that yeah. you can wear. And they make like tape that you can put to prevent that from happening and protect it once it's happened. And... In this universe, those things don't exist. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, My only problem with the movie. The movie, great movie. Uh, but but you're right. Like the I I, I guess I, I can never connect with people that are like that. They're like so into and like, and then what? Like oh, you can play the stupid fucking drum. Like what? to me, this seems like a pointless <laughs> exercise. It's like what is the point of this? All this effort for what? Like I watch like thing like documentaries about like some ballerina and their legs are all fucked up. It's like just don't do the ballerina thing. Just do something else. Like, people put themselves through these things. Well, they're then, supposed to be just sitting and thinking. Yeah, so. more thinking, less the other stuff. That's it's, what I it's a question of drive. It's a question of hate, 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 rage, 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 win, win, win. That's all I want out of the best pe- – and, it, and it's what it takes. What it takes <laughs> to be the absolute best at something, unless – you're just uh, a complete fucking gifted freak of nature, right? right? Unless you're just a fucking weirdo who didn't earn any of it. And then what good is it, right? right. To me, simply being born the greatest whatever the fuck right. is entirely unimpressive. I do not care. It is. That was my favorite ending of a movie I've ever seen, maybe. It is an incredibly ending, strong ending to a movie. Like... And you have, to, so you, have to, you have to accept the utter irre- the, the 
anti-realism of it, right? Because uh, first of all, uh, J.K. Simmons doesn't even clap in time, I don't think, when watching them. <laughs> like, and it's never clear to me at any point, and, and I don't think it's just that I, have, I, am, I am a person utterly without rhythm, acknowledge yeah. that. I don't <laughs> think it's entirely clear to me that when our, our uh, Miles Teller character, the, the main character in the movie, outperforms his fellow drumists there, uh, it's never clear to me that he was actually performing but I think that, in a better fashion. That I think if if there's an explanation for it or an excuse, and it could be the same thing, it's that you and like the untrained ear wouldn't. Right. That's what I accepted. I accepted yeah. in the very opening moments yeah. of the movie. Like, okay, that I don't get whatever it. they're going to tell me narratively about. Uh, what's going on with the good drumming versus the bad drumming, I will just accept. Okay. Because I, 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 I will first, I will assume that they're wrong. I will not believe that they have gotten it entirely right, but it doesn't matter to me. So I, I put all of that aside and I just enjoyed the movie. And it's a spectacular movie. The absurdity, the the insanity of him getting T-boned by a big truck at like Surviving. 50 miles an hour and being fine enough to drag himself out of the flipped over car and then run bleeding, obviously bleeding, to the stage to attempt to perform is it's, I just love it. Like, yes, give me the fucking flu game a million times in a row. Inject it right into my veins. It's exactly what I want out of movies. And that, that closing scene where J.K. Simmons fucks him, right? He brings him on stage and is like, hey, uh, you know all that stuff that you wanted to play that you're so good at? Uh, we're not playing that. We're going to play this other fucking thing. And you're fucked and you don't even have the music for it. And you're going to look like a total asshole. And then he walks off stage and he comes back on and he does the thing that, that – Simmons was pushing him to do all along, right? And it's like if you if you and it and it won't happen for everybody, right? And this is why I'm going to show it to my kids and tell them this doesn't happen for fucking anybody. Ninety nine times out of one hundred, you fail. You're face down in the muck and you're fucking dead. The car, the the truck right. t-bones you. You right. cannot drag yourself out of that fucking thing. You died because you're a fucking moron. But every once in a while, uh, one time out of a goddamn million, you get pushed in the right direction hard enough. You push yourself in that direction hard enough. It will work out, and not because uh, you're gifted or talented or God smiled upon you that day, but because you worked your fucking ass off. And every in once the in a while, room, it's in okay. that auditorium we were in, that you were in, there's this little sign, large sign, that says, dreams don't work if you don't. <laughs> By the way, if, if I were to have one of these kids I, and I showed them this movie, uh, the takeaway would be, uh, don't be so fucking self-involved that in an accident, the first thing concerned is some stupid drums. Like... Don't be that delusional. Come on. Go to the hospital. Right. As a, but as a metaphor for the sort of drive it takes to be the absolute best at something, to transcend normal human reality and actually become great in a way that, that, that uh, uh, greatness in terms that we don't normally think of it, truly transcendent greatness is not an accident. It is something that happens as a result of 
insane dedication and drive and at at the sacrifice of nearly everything else and you need to decide whether or not you're willing to sacrifice so much of your own humanity in order to achieve something along those lines most people aren't and and it's good it's good that most people aren't i don't i obviously don't have the sort of drive necessary uh that that the miles teller character has and never will but I really appreciate it in other people. Do I want to be friends with him? Do I want to hang out with Michael Jordan and, and talk to him about his playing days? No, I do not. But I do want to watch him express his hate and rage on the basketball court. Right. That's and all I, I ask. And I think it's like of all, of those, uh, per, all those pursuits are a fool's errand. If somebody was brave enough to go into a burning building to save somebody, very impressive. Playing some stupid drums, not impressed at all. Do, do the first thing. <laughs> Help somebody else. Yeah. All right. Succession, the, oh. the penultimate episode. By the way, fucking like 75 minutes long, and it's not the longest episode of yeah, the season. The this next, next episode is, is going to be 90 minutes, minutes long. Ooh, that's like a feature length movie. What did you think of the second to last episode of Succession, Abe? So, Roman, what a choker. You know, like, uh, obviously, uh, crying for your dead old man. It's perfectly healthy, perfectly normal. Uh, no issues oh, uh, there. Not the way he did it, but yeah. But, sure. yes. but he hadn't done it. Yeah, he just hasn't been grieving this whole time. But like, you know, in the the eighth episode, he was like a a little shit, you know, like, ah, who cares? And then... Yeah, clearly he was going through something. So, yeah, he was... so I think I've got some problems with the structure of this season. I'm not sure that this was entirely worked out properly in the writer's room. Roman was the one who was comfortable enough to walk to the plane and watch his dad's body disembark. Kendall is the one who hung back, who could not go forward, could not engage whatsoever with the body bag even as it came off the plane. Uh, It's weird to me that I think if we were to go back and rewatch this last season, which, by the way, in my opinion, is the only season so far that is worth a rewatch. This is the this is, I think, probably the best season uh, of succession so far. And and they're doing their best work here on the way out. And I have no interest in going back and rewatch. But I do think that there's some inconsistencies with the characters. And it's because they're trying to do this thing where, oh, we built them up in episode five. So they're on top of the world here. And then episode four or episode six, it's like, oh, nope. You thought that they were on top of the world. Now the next asshole is on top of the world. Right. And this is like this. It's so obvious coming in when we see the intro that Roman was going to shit the bed at the funeral. Right. right? Like the only reason to make him give that charming speech in front of his own mirror where he's all full of himself and ah, I'm Roman the showman. I'm going to do a fucking killer job and slay all these assholes at my dad's funeral. And everybody's going to think I'm awesome. Like, oh, well, obviously this isn't going to work out for Roman. Do you, do you think that uh, his uncle or the, the Logan's uh, brother, like, you know, that speech that wasn't planned that he, you know, basically like, oh, love my brother, but he was a piece of shit, you know, like, you know, they had like a kid, uh, one of their siblings died or he gave them polio or something. But like he just kind of had this speech about like this person was a piece of shit. Some of you already know, but uh, he was my brother and I loved him. And then he sat down. Do you think that that, that unexpected speech threw Roman off because he was going to just do a puff thing? Like oh, he's a man of a titan, you know, man of industry, right. blah, blah, blah. That I think that thing. the... The sudden humanization of Logan in an honest way yeah. was 
devastating to Roman. I think it was a spectacular work by James Cromwell. Right. He did it. By yeah, the way, that was great. Uh, and tremendously well written speech, and a, a very well delivered. A, a terrific set piece. the The whole funeral thing was a fantastic piece of work of of television, and it made the rest of the episode feel like utterly pointless. Right. Like I, and I know that just because of the structure of the way television works, we couldn't have ended with the funeral. Uh, it, it, the, just the way the season has worked out. But like, to me, a lot of the stupid politicking behind the scenes about Mencken and Matson and who's going to overcome who, not that it sucked the life out of the first half of the episode or the bulk of the, the, the first hour of the episode, but it didn't feel nearly as meaningful because of how good that, that opening funeral scene was. Right. Uh, Kendall's Kendall's uh, repost to his uncle, I thought, was also very well done, and was not the sort of uh, puff, puffery that that Roman was intending to give. Um, and it's you know, of course, now we've built Kendall up to to be the guy. Like he 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 does that thing. Like I remember when I gave the the speech at my brother's wedding. And when you do that that sort of thing and you're super nervous about it and then it goes really fucking well, your head completely detaches from your body. Like it, at least in my experience. Uh like you you just you're no longer present in your body in the way that you were before. And and I, I recognized in Kendall floating around the funeral afterward and glad handing with people and like feeling all full of himself because right. of the great job he had just done. Uh, for me, it was more a feeling of immense relief and 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 an out of body experience. But I saw some of myself in in that as well. Uh, I don't know what else there is to say about that episode. Do, we do, we have. Do 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 you think it? You know, like because I'm thinking like leading now into the the final episode. Is it going to be just like a big reveal? Who's going to win? Quote unquote. Or the next. I person? hope that the old people win. Jerry. The old people. Right. Yeah. I think that there's there's a big shoe to drop. There's a moment in this episode when Matson is on the phone with Shiv and she floats the idea of an American CEO. There's a there's another cut in that scene that I swear to God they didn't give us. So there's a thing that you do when you're making television and sometimes uh and it happened in, in, in Whiplash, actually. It's a, it's a great example of it in Whiplash, where the shot is of the driver, and they're notably not giving you the reverse shot, right? Okay. So as, as, the, as, as Miles Teller is driving, you, we're just seeing the one shot of him and no external shots of the car when in a normal situation— like you, it's like when you're watching a car insurance commercial and, and you're in the car with the people— and all of a sudden, the car slams into them. Yeah. It's like you're waiting for that thing to happen because because they're they're hiding something from you. And there's a shot when he's having the conversation with Shiv of him sitting in the limo, and it's a tight shot of just him in the limo, which means they're hiding from us who he's sitting in the limo with, right? Okay. There's somebody else who is the uh, unnamed American CEO that he's going to go with because it's not going to be Shiv, and that will be the person uh, who is who succeeds, right? Okay. Uh, that is that is the person who wins succession, and I'm sure that uh, 
like I don't think it's Tom. It it might be Greg, as silly as that is. Right. I think there's a there's a halfway decent shot that the other person in the limo in that moment was Greg. And I was waiting for them to give us the establishing shot or the pullback shot of whoever's hanging out in the limo with with Matson, and they never gave it to us. And whoever that person was, they don't do flashbacks in this show. Notably, they never do flashbacks in this show. But I get the feeling that there was more information in that scene than we were given at the time, and that will be the answer to the entire stupid thing. That could work. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Greg seems like the obvious and almost too obvious at this point because uh, Greg has there's this there's the shot of Greg two episodes ago after he tells Kendall all of the shit that Shiv's been doing behind their back where Greg rats out the fact that Shiv has been talking to Matson. You can't really see it, but he walks across the frosted glass of the conference room that they're sitting in with the biggest shit-eating grin on his face. Like, looking right at Shiv and just giving her the biggest smile the entire time. And I think that that's... uh, They've certainly dropped a few hints this season that this could end up with stupid fucking Greg winning the whole thing. It just is such an absurd... Nominate like you know like in that universe like this clumsy oaf is going to be the, the the head of the. But doesn't it also isn't it also in keeping with the entire cynicism of the yeah. entire thing like yeah. that we've got these dopes this family of fucking dopes and like people constantly fail upwards over and over and over again and you can never get rid of them and he's got the family name he's close enough to it it'll be plus it's a it's a knife right into the heart of Cromwell who's the only like true moral character like he's a self-righteous bastard right. but he's also like the only moral actor in this entire goddamn universe and if you can put a knife into that guy's heart at the end uh by making Greg the guy who ascends to the throne here like I think that's the sort of move that this show would do so you, are you ruling out the uh the obvious like the the Kendall becomes his old man like this this deteriorating relationship no, with his Kendall, family and now he's he cannot like, become his old man he's too much of a fucking failure but he's it too much like, of a so you don't think human. like it's going to be like what was the, the that dragon uh, game of thrones like who had a better story than Brandon's guy this asshole has just done nothing for eight seasons i'll tell you why i don't think kendall is it's not going to happen with kendall and it's because of the interaction that he has with the body man in this episode he goes to the so they go from the funeral where the guy is openly weeping yeah. as kendall walks out of the funeral sort of with a sh- his own shit-eating grin on his face and the 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 bodyguard colin i think is the guy's name is visibly moved by the entire thing and obviously personally devastated by the loss of this guy that he apparently considered a real friend right. uh that conversation that they have at the after party of the funeral, which is the only thing that I can call it, yeah. because it's just a bunch of schmoozing it's assholes. After party. Uh, it is. <laughs> that was a goddamn after party. Uh, yeah. Uh, his interaction with that guy, who is one of only, I think, two or three people in the entire world who know the truth about what Kendall did at the wedding, right? Because right. Colin was one of the guys to help cover up right. the death of that kid, Logan being one of the other ones. I can't remember if there's anybody else who knows the full extent of, of Kendall's sins in that regard. So Kendall, of course, uh, he's like, hey, I heard you've been talking to a shrink. Hope you didn't let slip anything right. about me being a goddamn manslaughterer, because right. that would be unfortunate. Why don't you come work for me you've got nothing else going on talk to me and colin gives him like a man you're such a real piece of shit look right (laughs) and uh i think that is what we're we're gonna see bite uh kendall in the ass in some form or fashion 
uh, in the next episode. I can see that. Yeah. And I don't, again, the predictions game is silly, except to say that whoever's on top now, we can assume won't be on top tomorrow. Uh, the, uh, and obviously, uh, Shiv can't win. Uh, that's, that's pretty clear. The, uh, there's that expression like, um, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. Basically like you, uh, you can have a fortune be lost just in three generations based on like, you know, the first generation earns it and they have these snot nose like kids who don't appreciate it and their kids fuck it up and ruin the whole thing. Like these Roy's are so incompetent. I think they could do it in two generations. Like right. they have not demonstrated any sort of competence throughout ever since like their old man died. I mean, their old man is a piece of shit. Their mom is also not very good. Um, uh, but at least he's competent in the business sense until he's got right. way too old. They are just flailing about it, and everything's just about some personal thing, like trying to, like, I don't know, like some weird parental issues uh, that instead of just doing normal business decisions, they're like, I'm doing this for, to, for something other than business. So real quick, do you think that this show gave as good a good faith defense of Logan as is possible, or did their own politics get in the way of of giving a full-throated defense of Logan the Builder, right? Of Logan right. The, the, the strong fucking capitalist who puts food in the mouths of people all over the country. Like, the fact that it comes out of Kendall's mouth almost automatically disqualifies it, right? right. Uh and so, uh, in my, I'm answering my own question, obviously, but in my opinion, this show's own low opinion of a figure like Logan made it impossible to give a fully good faith defense of Logan in a way that would be believable to this show's audience. Right. And also, I mean, the focus of the show is, yeah, obviously, he's portrayed as a successful titan of industry and all that stuff, but like most of the show is just focused on like the dysfunction of the family and how it's impacting each of the children, right. you know? And so like for four seasons, like these are the negative impacts of being a shithead of a parent. Um, it doesn't matter what words you use for like the business side of things. Like the audience knows this guy was not very good at being a parent. All right. So I presume that we will get a CEO named in the next episode. I have just handed you a cool $50 bill and you've walked up to the counter in Vegas and you have to put your cool $50 bill on one of the characters in the show. Do you go with Greg or Tom or one of the siblings? Do you go with Frank or Carl or Jerry? Who, Abe, gets the cool $50 bill? Easiest bet since the last bet I lost, uh, Kendall would be the putting your 50 on kindle yes. all right Lori. i've handed you 50 dollars. who you put your money on oh, frank or someone we don't okay, like a gonna... stewie frank or Ooh, stewie. stewie okay yeah 25 bucks on frank and 25 bucks on stewie uh my my 50 i'm gonna i'm gonna ride greg we're gonna see what happens greg. with uh <laughs> with greg the egg anyway you uh you got anything else for us tonight abe nope well, I guess that's all we've got for tonight, then. And we will talk to you next time. Later. The Braves win 4-3 to three against the Rotten Dodgers. Oh, nice. Going back, like, I don't know, to 2015 or 2017 or something, the Braves are 30-50 and 50 against the Dodgers. Wow. I think 31-50 and 50 now with the win tonight. Wow. And have not won a single regular season series against them. Wow, that is something. like a fucking decade. That's it's a streak. Crazy. 
did do you happen to see David Simon, the the wire guy, was interviewed on NPR this week? I'll read from the transcript. This is Ari Shapiro talking, my, my boy Ari Shapiro. So you've spent your career creating television without artificial intelligence. And I could imagine today you thinking, boy, I wish I had that tool to solve these thorny problems. David Simon, what? <laughs> you imagine that? Ari Shapiro, boy, if that had existed, it would have really screwed me over. David Simon again. I don't think AI can remotely challenge what writers do at a fundamentally creative level. Ari Shapiro. But if you're trying to transition from scene five to scene six and you're stuck with that transition, you could imagine plugging that portion of the script into an AI and say, give me 10 ideas for how to transition between this and that. David Simon. I'd rather put a gun in my mouth. <laughs> Ari Shapiro. You would rather put a gun in your mouth? I mean, what you're saying to me effectively is there's no original way to do anything. And Ari Shapiro. No. Yes, you are. That seems like a kind of absolutist take. Not only I think it is a fundamental violation of the integrity of writers and also of copyright, too. You know, when I sold all the scripts I sold, 150 at HBO and maybe another 50 to NBC, I didn't sell them so that they could be thrown into a computer with other people's and be used again by some corporation. So you would never agree to a contract that saw any role for AI at all? No, I would not. Huh. If that's where this industry is going, I'm going, it's going to infantilize itself. We're all going to be watching stuff we've watched before, only worse. There is like this, there's this divide between the romantics and then like the normal people. You know, like Shapiro, what he's saying, normal. If this thing can aid in the process, why not? Less work for me. And then you have the romantics. You are among them. Oh, how dare you? This whole, right. this whole thing. Like, what do you mean? You know what I would have said to Ari Shapiro if he was like, so, you know, you get to a uh, come to loggerheads with yourself in some part of the story. You're not sure where to go next. You just fire up the AI. And, and why wouldn't you do that? Ari, I'll bet your fucking memoir sucks ass, man. That's what you've just told me. Just by asking that question, I know for certain that your memoir is right. stupid and bad. I don't know if I'm going to be putting on this headset again. I don't know if it's going to be from cast iron brains. I want to apologize for the people who signed my paycheck, for the people I work with, for anybody that I've offended here tonight. I can't begin to tell you how deeply sorry I am. The proceeding was created with 100% human content. <laughs>